0: to the other side of midnight. Uh, Richard, uh, he's under the weather again with his voice. So I'm your host, Keith Morgan. Uh, we're going to be trying to pick up on Mars again. And uh, we're going to have some good guests on tonight. We're going to have Ron Durban, uh Andrew Curry, and we're going to have... And we're going to have... Um, uh oh uh Robert uh, Morningstar Will Farrow is uh supposed to be joining us but uh he hasn't seemed to come online on Skype yet So um I know it's been kind of frustrating because uh the wildfires out in the Midwest have been uh hammering Richard and uh James uh, Goodall because they're out there in the middle of all of the fires And Richard said, this is spring. We never have wildfires in this time. But uh, it seems that that seems to be the case going on here with the uh, the wildfires. Anyway, uh, I I hosted the uh, part one, hosted the part two, and it looks like I'm hosting part three. So uh, let me see if my guys are here. Uh, Andrew... Are you you there?
1: Yes, I am. Hey, how are you? Okay.
0: And Ron, are you there?
2: Oh, yes, I'm here. Okay. And And Richard may stick his nose in, by the way. Don't forget. I I, I talked to him twice today. His voice doesn't sound that bad. It's just whether he decides to jump in or not.
0: Okay. And And he's probably listening. And Robert Morningstar, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. This is our... EM uh, Enterprise Mission Imaging Team, and um, we're going to go over some things about Mars, um, and they're going to print out some stuff that they have in their um, Radio Wood Pictures items, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll bring up some new stuff. So let's get right into it.
2: Uh, okay, I should probably just go through Richard's items because that's what he prompt me it prepped me for. I got them to come up finally.
0: Okay. So Ron's going to cover Richard's items to get to Richard's items. You're going to go to the other side of midnight.com. You're going to click on tonight's banner. Meanwhile, back on Mars part 3, that will take you to the show page. Then you're going to scroll down a little bit and you'll see the fast links and click on Richard for the fast links for items, and that will take you down to Richard's items, and hopefully everybody's about there. So go ahead, Ron. Let's start off with. Okay. One.
2: Yeah, the pre- yeah sort of the premise behind all of these was that it was about time that uh, we gave some serious thought to why doesn't NASA tell us the truth? You know, everybody's heard the acronym. The NASA stands for never a straight answer. Uh, that's been around a long time but still has the fact that they don't show us what they get or they grudgingly take pictures and going by the order that they ended up here on the page, the first one is a totally unmodified, by me anyway, uh, picture um, from the um, Newcomb's team at uh, the European Space Agency when they took those pictures, there's a down under my name, there's a a large version of the image that it came off of, but this is one of their modified ones. One of the things the Europeans do is uh, more manufactured perspective shots. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, there's standard engineering programs that can rotate an image. Uh, you see it on TV shows all the time. Uh, but in the case of this, if you zoom in on there, I mean, there's the face, obviously, and that other um, assemblage right near it if you look at it it doesn't look like anything it looks like a haystack you know it's all smeary from the uh and uh, it doesn't have to be like that but they were going out of their way to make sure you couldn't see what it was so that's the kind of stuff we're talking about okay that was a good choice keith that's a good good one to go first uh the second one uh is a compilation of the um, various early photos you see the one in the upper left is the one that somehow that's the one that I've seen the most of that's the one that's on the poster that showed up on the wall of Mulder's office in the X-Files and it's the one that's in all the tabloids and everything else and technically that's a Viking shot but right next to it you'll see one of the Viking images you see they, it really doesn't I mean, it's the same thing, but, you know, there's a great deal of difference between them.
0: Well, the one in the upper uh, left-hand corner, that is the original Viking image one, and that's all of, with all of the salt-and-pepper noise where the data dropped out. Um, then Dr. Carlotto ran an algorithm to fill in all of that missing space by doing pixel summing around the actual dropouts. Yeah, um, and
2: not to diss Dr. Carlotto, but if you uh, if you have any kind of graphics program and it has a noise removal function and it has one that's a button that says despeckle yeah you just hit that once and they all go away
0: well back, so they in, the were time, added... back in the time when he did this that was uh, a rare commodity that nobody really had that um, there were some graphics uh, devices like the paint box from quantel they would do stuff like that yeah
2: you're right you're right uh yeah f- photoshop didn't even really exist i it's its first it, the first iteration of photoshop actually fit on a floppy disk <laughs> yeah
0: nineteen eighty eight there wasn't uh, that kind of stuff going on so no
2: but uh and the then below it is one that for some reason it was it's tagged uh, the uh mail and space sciences used that one a lot that's the um that's the background image from the uh uh For people that have looked into these things uh there's uh there are area shots from the Malin group showing the uh boxes that show the path of the image, you know the um, image strip and where which parts of the overall picture it it showed and stuff that was supposed to accompany all of the ones that they took with the global surveyor and uh, anyway, they always labeled it target so I always thought that was kind of funny, and you'll notice it's kind of in between. Looks of the one on the upper left and the one on the upper right, and the one on the lower right is from the Mars Global Surveyor, and it's um, in the middle of their efforts. They they took a number of pictures, but uh, it, I, it bothers me that they're that the um, uh, ortho the
0: orthographics, orthographics
2: of, yeah are all they're all a little different on all of these, and these are supposed to be precision equipment. You know, I won't say it's a different thing, but they were, you know, they're messing with it more and more, and uh, that's um, been frustrating it because they usually they're even they are a little more honest than that. There's something about Sidonia. I think maybe it's a psychological thing. Like they said, oh, people fixate on this, so if we screw this up, they won't believe anything. Because uh, there's, I um, one thing we don't have that we should is the infamous uh, picture that. Art Bell labeled the cat box.
0: He, and, um, that was that was so bad. They rotated the craft off in there where it's supposed to be looking straight down and looked back at it at an angle. The side that was in shadow that was now lit up, it was on the uh, opposite side of what the camera was looking at, and it was distorted because of the angle that it shot. And then they cranked the pedestal level up or black level so that the contrast had dropped out to a level where you could see the, the CCD fingerprint and you had these vertical lines and it was just awful. I mean, it was the worst thing you could ever do. And it was
2: insultingly bad. Yeah. yeah
0: that's... <laughs> and they said, see, there's nothing there. And then the European Space Agency came along, took a better picture. And what did these rocket scientists do? They put the picture out upside down and said, oh, see, there's nothing there. But now you can see the side that was in shadow. So NASA, not wanting to be outdone, they decided they had to play catch-up. So they took a better picture. Now you can see the other side really good. But what do these rocket scientists do? They put the picture out upside down and said, see, there's nothing there. Knowing that face is oriented towards north but offset to north by 19.5 degrees, they all put them out upside down because people could not see for looking when you rotate it around, you can see that the other half of the face is not a head-on. It's a profile of a face. So this thing has yeah. got multiple images embedded in it, and the side that we couldn't see is a profile. You've got an upside-down checkmark ridge right where the ear should be. What are the odds? The eye comes over. You have the neck that comes down with a curvature representing where the collarbone is. It's a nice, perfect curve. You got the chin that comes down. You got the hairline across the top, and I'm going. Nobody sees this, but people look and they just don't see because it, it's it's like when the into um, Central America with the Mayans and or whatever they couldn't see the ships because they didn't recognize what they were looking at when they were coming. No,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, that's like in that movie Apocalypto that uh, Mel Gibson did.
0: Yeah, well, people look at stuff yeah, and they just can't see.
2: Yeah, uh, anthropologically speaking, I've never been too sure about how true that was. I mean, whether they actually couldn't see it or not. I mean, that's been used by some um, pundits to say, well, you know, if we saw any really alien things, we might not even be able to see them because – we. Well what they really mean is they might you might not be able to recognize them, and that gets into all the stuff about Martian ruins that we usually talk about here uh but the um, yeah no this is just this is just a show and tell of when they were screwing with us because like that that four by picture uh number one the um uh the upper left picture, the one that gets, like I said, in all the tabloids, you notice the – and that's from NASA. It's the same image that they published showing the um, uh, little line that one of the staff at JPL had drawn around it with a question mark. that says, face. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the ones that started it. And yet, notice how much more defined the eye is than on any of the others. Mm-hmm. It uh, So it's – yeah, you you know you really can't trust anything, but anyway the um it pops up again on number three that Sidonia uh, versus Lamini Lamini is a site in Belize, which is um, the uh, if you think of the of Yucatan as sort of like a the rudder of an airplane attached to Mexico, you know then the um Belize is the flap, you know it's right there on the extreme east coast of Mexico, and it's a completely separate country. In fact, they shooted each other once in a while, um, just on general principles. But there's uh, the Mayans were all over that area, and the thing that thing on the right, I'm struck by how uncannily similar it is. That place is called officially the Face Temple. You can go there as a tourist, and I didn't want to uh, put in a picture that w- had anything obscured with. Um, Tourists, but if you were standing there in front of it, your head would be about even with the mouth, mm-hmm. the lower lip. Anyway, that's how big, that's how big it is. But it's, uh, yeah, that's. I find that kind of uncanny the similarity.
0: And, and that guy has lips. He doesn't have a slit for a mouth. He's got lips, just like the Badlands Guardian has lips. He doesn't have a slit mm-hmm. for a mouth that you can, yeah, but it interpret as a mouth. It is there are lips.
2: <laughs> oh, okay, warmer. Well, okay, this is one that most people are unfamiliar with. You really should click on it and look at the larger version. But that that is that large uh there's a there's a fuller sized version of the overall landscape, the lower picture, uh down in my section. Uh but um even on this one, you'll notice there's an A and a B and it says place A on B. Well, B, of course, is the um, face. I turned it, you know, twisted it around so it's straight up and down. And about 12 miles to the, uh, let's see, north would be to the right. So about 12 miles south of it, there's a, uh, something else. And I said, gee, that looks awfully similar. And it's exactly the same size. Just, I, I just clipped them both off of the uh, largest version of it I have. And so they're at exactly the same scale. And um, it looks like a half mask that kind of fits over the um, bright part of the face. I, I, I have no simple explanation, but this, the symmetry matches so closely that I'm really curious what it is. I think Richard's uh, assessment is that it's another one, you know, like they do lots of them, but I don't know. But it's awfully odd that 12 miles away, there's another one that looks like a uh, copper mask that fell, blew off of it. Yeah, and of course the the Aztecs and the Mayans were all very fond of jade masks. Um, So that's uh, you know unanswered questions, folks.
0: Well, it's just like the Badlands Guardian. If you go 1.38 miles to the northwest from the eye of the the Badlands Guardian you come to the Badlands Guardian's Companion. It
2: doesn't look anything at all like the face on Mars. Uh,
0: what, the Badlands Guardian?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It right. doesn't. Shown, uh, we've seen it 19 times. It doesn't right. look at 19.5 times. It doesn't look anything at all like it.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, this,
2: this kind of stuff happens. We all know this, but you know, I... the
0: things get duplicated. But the Badlands Guardian companion is 1.38 miles to the northwest of the Badlands Guardian. Both of these objects are, are aligned perfectly north. And they got too much detail in it because the guardian looks like a Viking with some kind of helmet on. And it's a profile. He's looking sideways. He's looking to the West, just like the Badlands guardian. And how do you get two things like this in the one, same area? And it's supposed to be pareidolia. I don't think so. It's mm. not. And,
2: and- uh, Well, no, of course not. Of course not. But the, uh, the, uh, I don't know. There's there's no there's no simple uh, simpler way to put it. But the uh, when you look at the, when you look at Egyptian temples uh, from basically the entire span of time that people look at as ancient Egypt, and you see a picture of Hathor, or a profile of Isis, uh, or even the um, even things like Horus. Do you know why they all look alike? Because they used templates. Everybody uses templates. They use templates. They work from models. I mean, this is, you know, this is, of course they look the same. The only time you don't get that is if you have a second group that only through hearsay and folklore did they get a description of something, and they have to come up with their own version of it. And there was a lot of that stuff happening in, like, the 18th and 19th century In Europe, because there were parts of the world that none of those people had ever actually been to, and so they'd hear these wild tales, and they'd make up a version. But in the case of anything from the Native Americans, no, they knew what they were talking about. Of course they'd they'd match. Uh,
0: When I say people don't don't see see stuff, the reason I keep bringing up the Badlands Guardian, because it's right here on this planet, and when I show it to people, they say, where is that, on the moon, Mars, Venus? No, it's in Alberta, Canada. They don't believe it. And I said, it's
2: and the weather's better.
0: Yeah. Right. But with the, I'm, I'm watching these things on YouTube where this one thing was going through all these different anomalies and stuff. And they came to the Badlands guardian. They traced out the Badlands guardian and they left off the shoulder that comes out to our right, his left shoulder that has the two parallel ridges that come down and the one closest to his neck curves under his neck. And, and, they just left that out. They left the whole shoulder out like they didn't see it or something. And that's one of the key elements that makes this look like a figure. He's wearing a vest, but they didn't they didn't trace it out. And I'm going, you can't see what's right in front of you. So you only trace the head and the neck and didn't get the shoulder. How do you do that? Well,
2: well, if, if someone doesn't want you to see what's there, but wants to talk about the fact that some people claim that they see something there, they'll leave a piece of it out, right? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty standard practice. But that's uh, you know uh, that doesn't apply to these. Okay, well let me um, go on to the last of um, well the le- possibly the last of the um, Richard things here. Uh, I found this in my uh, archives. I don't know why. Somebody sent it to me years ago from somewhere. That's why it didn't really have a proper name to it. It's a page out of a newsletter that was um, a rather well laid out one. Remember newsletters that look like this? This is a good way for them to look. And you'll notice down on the bottom left, there's a, um, well, it says NASA invitation given to Richard Hoagland. And that's a story he should tell about one of the um, presentations that
3: that he gave,
2: but that was back in, um, 1988. So I just, I thought we should include that just so that Richard gets ranked and, and actually come to think of it, look at the little picture up next to the logo at the top. That's the same one from that, uh, foreplay up above. (laughs) It's that same, same original one. If that's not the best one, then why do they, why did that get duplicated more often?
0: 1988 was the year that I got involved with this is, uh, when uh, I came across the Monuments of Mars, and then that's when Nightline did the show about Mars, and then I wrote the letter to Hoagland through his publisher. He contacted me, and that's when I learned about Goddard Space Flight Center, and then I got involved, and I started watching all the dominoes falling as these guys were trying to cover up this entire thing, one right after the other, and that's when I knew something was wrong, and when I discovered that curve and the ray across the curve and earl Torin discovered <clears throat> the x and y axis i knew this is real this is 100 percent real because math doesn't lie
2: and we all have our we all have our hinge points for those
0: yeah.
2: you know i met richard at a at a, a conference thing that jpl was involved in in 1976 and we had a brief conversation and i said okay this is cool and I talked about the moon, and Richard said, "I'm not too sure about that stuff in George Leonard's book about the moon, but I think there might be something on Mars." So he was uh, he was already into it as soon as the Viking picture came out. Um, and I didn't see him again for many years. But you know, there's uh, he's uh, he's he's always got priority on that. And if he decides to drop in on us, then he can finally tell his um, update on the Webb telescope, we left that. Then oh, I see you left couple of them down there yeah the um we'll see what happens but um everybody else is awfully quiet um andrew you're good with shapes and shapes and shadows
1: well yeah you guys you know it's funny um and i know i'm i'm probably jumping the gun but i think it's a worthy question right now you know keith talking about the badlands guardian i mean that's alberta canada i mean i've always had this thought it's something i used to talk to keith laney about if we sort of defoliated the planet, took all of the water away from Earth, all of the, you know, all of us, all the buildings, all the trees, what would we be left with? I wonder Greta, if we'd be left. Go ahead. No, no,
2: I was just going to make a reference to Greta Thunberg, who thinks that that's going to happen in the next ten or fifteen years.
3: <laughs> How dare you? Yeah,
1: yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
3: Well, you know it
1: there has been a bunch of tornadoes that have been going through somewhere in the, is it the midwest in the state I don't know I, I saw this video footage of it these these security cams and showing the way that the wind just swept everything away and if you can sort of metaphorically imagine everything swept away from the earth, and all that's left are you know the so called land masses you've gotta wonder how much of it would end up being ancient temples um giant monolith monolithic sculptures or megalithic sculptures. I mean, monstrous. And then you got to wonder mm-hmm. if that's true. If we, you know, would we be another planet of art? And are these the same people that did the same thing on Mars? I mean, I mean, Keith is right. We have this stuff everywhere on the planet. I mean, you you can find this everywhere, and it's not the old man in the hills syndrome. You do get that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, well,
2: megalithic means big stones. Yeah, yeah the, uh, you know that's sure. It's there's a and I can't pronounce the name. Maybe uh, it'll spark something in Robert's memory because he can pronounce the Chinese. But there's a uh, yeah, there's a site in China which was only noticed uh, a couple of years ago, and it's it's like the cliffs above a village somewhere in China. I mean, it's you know it's a town, but chew uh, there. That's carved into the front of it That's like, you know, almost 200 feet high Wow And it was all covered with foliage Nobody had noticed
0: it Yeah Um, um, uh, um, Andrew, have you seen My Utah paper, PDF On my website The stuff, I took took one photograph One photograph With my wife in it Because I saw what looked like the bus Of Nefertiti up on top of this bluff Right? Right And I thought that was interesting, and then I noticed next to it, there was this other pedestal that had right angles on it and straight lines and a little stem sticking up like there was a head on top of that at one point. Yeah. And then I was like, wow. So I took that one picture, and then when I was doing one of the shows, uh, I sent pictures to Kinthea, but then I started looking at that one photo, zoomed in, and then down below on another level, there is this vertical pillar standing there, and it looks like the head on top of the balanced rock, which we call the fish head guy. And I thought, that was outrageous. Now you got three out-of-place artifacts in this one photograph. So then I show it to Jonathan Womack, and he says, wow, okay, he finds a freaking bird head carved into the wall to the right of the freaking fish head guy. And that's what blew me out the water. I said if he found that, I I didn't see it because I wasn't looking over there. This – you can't have four out-of-place artifacts in one photograph with that much detail and go, oh, this is just natural. Bull.
1: Bull. Well, you guys, remember there's also the – what's called the sphinx of – okay, I've looked this up because you triggered me. The sphinx of Balochistan. It, and I think that's in Pakistan. We, we've talked. I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, and I don't have the images. Here. Oh,
2: I know the one you mean. You yes, know, I, one. I,
4: yeah. And it's it, they fun. were
2: they were de- they were they were resurfacing a road, and they said, "Oh, look at this." And I'm still a little dubious, but it would be an awful lot of work for somebody to have faked that in modern times.
1: Oh, it's if people look it up. If people are at their computer and just open up another another um, you nice. know their browser yeah. and Window? just go look it at- up. Yeah. Balochistan province of Pakistan and it's, it looks like a sphinx and a whole series of, of, of carved columns I mean it is so weathered and worn down it really looks like Mars the stuff we're seeing on Mars so again right. where is the source okay, I, I know I'm going directly at the heart of this but where is the source I mean I think you said it Ron you said the artists mm-hmm. are working on templates and you're exactly correct there is a form oh and there's a form that's used and there's an aesthetic that carries through time and we're seeing it in you know not only in our well Egyptian settings but in in Pakistan in in, uh, in um um uh, I think you know what what was the the Egyptian stel's that were seen is it in Florida when 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 the when the uh, oh this was. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting, guys. But it's like. It oh yeah,
2: like, those cir- those circles, right? The, the yeah. thing that Art Bell had a big about it, and Richard got involved. They were trying to preserve the. I, what was the name of those? I I can't what remember was the name but, of that site.
1: Yeah, but the, but the point yeah. is, is that there's this continuum of artistic form, and as you say, Keith, these recognizable figures that you know, if we look even closer, they. Some of them have, or a lot of them probably have these elongated heads. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, they're, they're, there are patterns coming through. And, you know, when we go back to Mars and look at that stuff, and we've talked about this before, sometimes it doesn't even look that incredibly old. I mean, some of it's really, really old. But some of it looks like, you know, it's not as weathered as you might, you know, it's not five – what are they saying? How many billions of years since water, or since water was on Mars, like in Jezero Crater? What is it? Uh, three billion? I can't remember exactly. what that,
2: water uh, has yeah. been there. Well, the, uh, yeah, the Amazonian period was like three hundred of uh, three hundred some million mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, the it
1: was guys about
4: a minute from the from the break, and I want to tell Andrew that that place in Pakistan is called Baluchistan.
1: Baluchistan.
4: Yeah, when we come back from the break, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, shapes and shadows that, that Ron asked about, and it's uh, dealing with the picture on the face on Mars. So um, yeah, and you've got a picture
2: of a Sphinx there in your stuff too. Did you, uh, Robert? I was just going to just going to
4: mention that. Well, we let's talk about it after the break. I think yes, you're signaling us that we are about to go there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, you're listening to the other side of midnight. Uh, I'm your host for the night because uh, Richard's in the, another situation that takes him out of the picture for right now.
2: His voice is a little raspy. He's not. He's I, for once he's not at death's door or anything. And it
0: sounds like
2: this.
0: We'll be back right after the break.
5: look at what is going on with us now. You have vax or no vax, you have mandates or no mandates, you have uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, (laughs) that big pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, something really inappropriate's gone on here we're being controlled i mean it's it's one thing to to have mandates and all these and another thing to shut people up who say i would like to talk about this a little bit no you don't you're not going to talk and and so we have uh you know people like uh, dr mercola being shut down that is not us that's not how we operate people ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion and and have uh, say uh, I'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you so here are the things for a good immune system but I'm sorry you can't find them anymore because we're not allowed to so something's going on so that my friend is going to be exposed that's another thing that you're seeing for a while and it won't last forever so it's there now But believe me, it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on just like the abuse uh, that I've just talked about of both women and kids, for priests and all. It's here in an ugly way and eventually it's going to be seen. Brian says there'll be revelations or maybe even a movie about it. It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco that they were, of course, addicting our children and they had a cartoon and they knew that it caused cancer and You know what happened with that, we shut that, basically shut that down, and now we don't smoke anymore. Hi there, this is Lee Carroll, I want to tell you about the other side of the news. In these days where we're not really hearing much good news, or perhaps even what's really happening, that's where the other side of the news is different. And in that, you're going to hear not only controversy, but you're going to hear great things. There are going to be joyful things, too. I just got done with one of the broadcasts, and I encourage you to take a listen with myself and Monica. But the other side of the news, that's what we need more of in these times.
0: And welcome back to the other side of Midnight. Yeah, we've been talking about uh, a lot of things that are right here on this planet that they have ignored because they don't. It doesn't fit their paradigm. And if you guys go back to the first episode of Meanwhile on Mars, back on Mars that uh, I hosted, because uh, there's three parts now. This is the third part. I uh, you can find my links to my website and to the PDF that I have about Utah and all the stuff that just had my jaw dropped Uh, because there's a lot of stuff there that just doesn't fit. It just, and they're saying it's natural, it's natural, it's natural. No, it's not natural. There's too many coincidences for it to be natural. And one of the ones that was uh, the biggest coincidence that caught me besides the the fish head and the balanced rock was the um fact that behind the balanced rock was what looks like an elephant's head carved into this huge pillar along with a whole bunch of other shapes and Then, when the monolith came out, the Utah monolith and everybody flocked into the area, all the pictures started flooding out, and I'm saying nobody sees all of this artwork on the walls carved into the into the uh stone. Nobody sees any of this stuff. And and that's what drove me up a wall because I'm like, this is not natural. Somebody put that pillar there to get everyone's attention and nobody paid attention to what they were looking at. And I I saw the little owl sitting on the shelf. I saw painted into the walls uh artwork that had some kind of uh, it looked like an, a large insect or caterpillar or something with uh, antenna sticking out of it with a face on it, and I'm like, nobody sees all this artwork, and it's all grouped together yeah, I mean it's not like you, you can't see it once you look at it, you'll start to see the stuff. but people went in there, the puma heads that was carved in the, sticking out the side of the wall on the left side of it the the huge cat head. And I couldn't figure out what it was on the left the right side of the pillar, but I saw this perfect curve come down sloping over, and I kept going, "There's a hole here, but I can't figure out what this is until I saw the picture come from that was shot looking down into the valley, and then you could see this huge cat head right across from the Puma head, which is much smaller, and I'm going to and then when they tore it down, and you came back they took a picture looking at the puma head and in on the right side of the puma head, there's this outcove. And in there is an outline of an Eagle and you follow the Eagle down and there's got the talons and everything. And I'm going, and nobody saw this stuff. So let me bring my people back. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, yes.
6: Uh, okay. Something about the, um,
4: he, Ron asked, Andrew, about shapes and shadows, and everybody talks about shapes. I've been intrigued by shadows, and I've done shadow studies of uh, many of these monuments on Mars. I'd like to bring your attention to the the four pictures, uh, one of which says target, the lower left quadrant. And what intrigued me about that picture long ago, almost, I guess it's 30 years ago, is the perfection of that shadow. Almost Almost uh, an equilateral triangle, but perfectly pointed, and it gives me the sense that the slopes of the face on the diagonal are a sort of a pyramid that was carved out on one side or the other side of the diagonal to make the face. Now the hey, Robert, that, you might be onto to something, I think. I think so. let me finish the uh, the thought. Yeah, because when yep, I went absolutely. to those early pictures, with those early pictures that we had, which is part of this this uh, this grouping, the target. They had that sun angle; they produced that shadow on the face. But when I went to the city, I was amazed that the city, uh, with the central avenue, they are all mounds of different sizes they were all casting shadows that were congruent to each other and they were similar to this angle. So it, it seems like they were making either mounds or pyramids that had a, a common slope, whether it was a hundred feet high, 300 feet high, or I don't, I don't, I forget how high the, um, the, uh, the face is. I know it's about a mile and a half in length. So, this was an interesting uh, observation, but nobody ever pays attention to the shadows. Except uh, in this case, they just drew my attention right away. So you're really right. Necessary? I mean, I'm oh, I'm
2: just going to say you're 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 on the right track of something. I can't say that. Can't say that I have the um, uh, final steps either. But the uh, yeah, people people come up with something and they jump on it too hard. You know, like they uh, all of mean? a sudden
4: there's. The straightness,
2: yeah. the straightness of uh, the side and the point. And- oh, you're right. I'm very careful not to mess with those. You know, I, yeah. I, there's a little bit of enhancement that I did on most of these pictures of it, those four pictures, obviously. But uh, yeah, I don't mess with shadows. And you can see how different. And it's supposed to be the same shot, and yet the uh, the shadow is quite a bit different. Uh, well, you clean way. it up,
4: when you clean it up, things do tend to be uh, sharper. But Again, yeah. it was in that series of photographs that showed uh, the the Sidonia complex that I noticed the congruency of the angles of the, the apex of the shadows being cast by the city yeah. structures and by the face.
2: Yeah, you're right. I I seem to remember that they actually there are maybe three or four other Viking pictures that uh include it but they all claim to be, you know, impossible to resolve. I think that uh Mark Carlotto and um, um, Partner and that stuff uh, tried to do, you know, tried to do something with some, but there's a couple of others so they were they were already interested in it. They just for some reason wanted to make all the public think that now it's nothing it's nothing. Let's talk uh, a little
4: bit about the cover up when as you said, they're the ones NASA are the ones that named it the face right when when that upper left hand uh, uh, picture came out. They're the ones that said it's it's the face, and everybody got excited. The reporters started, you know, putting out their articles, and they were saying, well, when when can we see another picture of it? And he said, well, it's going to come around in another couple of hours, and we're going to take another picture of it. And then uh, everybody waited. The hours passed by, and then they came and did the press conference, and they said, oh, yeah, we took another picture of it. And uh, there's nothing there. It's just, it was just an illusion caused by uh, light and shadows. And then we have to give credit to Mark Carlotto, who many years yes. later started researching, and he found that other photograph that they referred to, claiming that it did not show the face. But it did show the face. So
0: I thought the, that was uh, Vincent Petro and Greg Mulliner.
4: Vincent that, and Thank Mark you. Clark. That's the names I was thinking of. Yeah,
2: go ahead, Robert.
4: Right, well, I I think that from the very beginning we can see that NASA got scared after their initial reaction which was being honest that well, that looks like a face So, a lot of people now think that this is conspiracy theory but we have to keep reminding them that the first conspirators were NASA They're the ones that named it the face and then they're the ones who denied that it was there when the second picture was taken They didn't show it and it was left to Vincent Petro and,
7: uh, Mont- and Greg
4: Greg Yeah. Greg Molinar, Could they right? be playing some sort of weird double
2: head fake on this? Because the, uh, I mean, they have gone so far over the line in some cases, on some occasions, in coming up with versions uh, that were preposterously wrong. You know. It's, well, it's, yeah. You have you have to wonder. I mean, I I I, I take it for granted that the the uh, Try as they like to say that they're the civilian space agency. I mean, it was uh, – if you look at the original paperwork for NASA, they were funded out of the uh, Department yeah. of Defense in it was the first public. place. So
0: but as yeah, I, run, always
2: run, had a, as I run, said run, in the first much. episode
0: no, of this – back meanwhile, back on Mars, in the first episode, when I was telling everybody that the space agency was not civilian, okay? That was what's in yeah. the charter. But in 1965 in the Washington Post, there's a small article, and it's talking about how the the NASA unions were upset because key positions were being given to retired military personnel. Now, right. technically they're civilians now, but they still have their oath of loyalty and their, their – uh, secrecy, uh, secrecy. they're not going to Right. non Nondisclosure agreements,
2: things like and, that. Yes. And if
0: they're told, to put your finger on something and cover it up, they're going to do it. So the military had control of NASA, and that's why in 1965 in the Washington Post, there's small articles talking about key positions being given to retired military personnel, and that's how they took control to keep things under wraps. And Well, yeah, this I all goes back was to was
4: Brookings. Remember. Excuse me. I'd like okay. everyone to remember one of my favorite quips, which is the first trick of science was to convince us that we all evolved from monkeys, so that when they treat us like monkeys, we won't complain. <laughs> I like that. That's.
0: that's but it, yeah, that's great. If I found the if I found that curve, okay, these guys are not stupid. You know, even though they've got the blinders on because they've been everybody raise your hands right.
2: if anybody understands what that curve is. Okay. All right, it's a, that's a, you're talking a rather abstruse... I'm sorry, Keith. You're no, talking a rather abstruse mathematical I concept just, that it doesn't have any ba- Doesn't have any contextual
4: reference. Yeah, well, you have to see. So just you have to see his his uh, diagrams. But uh, I agree, it's a it's a very interesting uh, discovery.
0: Yeah. yeah. If you go back to but it needs, co- but it needs context. Well, if you it go back to context. the first episode of Back on Meanwhile, Back on Mars. All of that stuff is there because I, the pictures we there. are and everything. So, but the thing is, is that if I could see that and I could find it, do you think these guys don't know what they're looking at? They took that high-res shot across the big pyramids the curve starts out from around, and you see these humps of ridges running down the side of the pyramid going out to each one of the mounds and connecting to them. And nature doesn't do that kind of stuff. It's not one of
4: the names when you study the names that were given to this region by Philip Morrison and Carl Sagan and company, you realize these guys knew instantly what they were looking at. They named it Syria, they named it Sinai, they named it Olympus. They gave it a lot of Greek names, which indicates to me that they were recognizing that they had found. The ancient homes of the Greek gods, the myth of the Greek Ooh, gods. Robert.
2: It actually goes back farther than that because uh, the Chapparelli, um yes. who um, is rather famous for, um, for the, the canals. Uh, li- yeah, yeah, the whole business with the uh, naming the canals. There's actually an Italian friend of his that uh, suggested that that's what they look like and can canali means lines, not
4: canals. Or channels, but- channels. But you know Channel. they're quite You're right he's quite right. what he was yes. seeing was the shadows going across the fossa. The fossas are dry riverbeds that once existed, mm-hmm. so when the morning and evening right. uh, sunlight streams across, which we'll talk about later when we talk about the eye of mars the uh the uh the trenches the the riverbeds are dark, and they do mm-hmm. make uh I- images to be seen through a telescope that look like channels or canality as, uh, uh, they
2: oh yeah I say I think that's I think there, there's truth behind all of that and that gets into the whole question that none of us really have answers for about where were they getting this information you know like Shaparelli. I mean the air was much much clearer back in his day so you can yeah. see a lot more with a smaller telescope but uh, just to thing he based his map of Mars that one that you always see it's like a line drawing and it's got all those ellipses on it. Uh, he based that on a um, navigational, a Greek uh, navigational map of the Mediterranean because he saw a similarity in the basic layout. And so he, he pulled a lot of names off of there too. And that's where Cydonia came from. It's a, it's a promontory on the uh, north shore of uh, the island of Crete that's called Cydonia been there forever it's spelled with a k uh but um the uh yeah a lot of the names A lot of the names came from there and it was just he was struck by the similarity of the uh basic layout and he thought he said in his notes with the the map that he had no expectation that anyone was going to keep them he just wanted to keep it all straight in his own head so he made up you know he put names on everything and it turned out that everybody just kind of accepted his they said no that'll work yeah, that's good. Oh, I like that one too. <laughs> so he was responsible for an awful lot of those uh, map names. Now, what the sure. what the mo- what the modern guys are doing with the stuff the rovers find drives me crazy because uh, I don't know where they're getting their nomenclature. I-, I feel like we're insulting the ancient Martians by not trying to give them more Martian-derived names.
4: Yeah, and they're insulting Yogi Bear and Yogi Berra too, who had nothing to do with rocks. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, actually,
2: oh, uh, if you want to get back to Pathfinder, yeah, that was the uh, uh, that rock is a lot. It's not really much of a rock, but it's much more interesting than people think. But uh, that would Pathfinder almost deserves its own show.
7: Yeah, so, I'm just saying they, they
4: take a giggle. They have a giggle when they name these things as some kind of little uh, in joke, in house joke that they think they know it, and they have a little laugh when they. Put oh,
2: absolutely! In fact. Uh, I've enhanced that uh, thing that the uh, that the Sojourner rover bumped up against that they named Yogi, and yeah. everybody goes,
6: Hey Yogi, Hey Yogi, let's go steal some picnic baskets.
2: You know, it's uh, it's all no, it's not Yogi and Boo Boo. They meant Yogi in the other sense, like the classes that you give people, Robert, uh, because when you enhance it, there is a there is a very uh, scholarly, wise, ancient. Uh, yogi kind of face um, carved uh, on the top side of it. I hate to describe stuff that it's we code have
4: length. a of. Yeah, it's yes, code. Yeah, but it's, and it's yeah, but it's it when, uh, when I saw the names, you see uh, that last picture in my section, which is the eye, the black eye with the black tear that looks like Alice Cooper's eye. That was yeah, let's look at I, that. I actually saw, and uh, it's the 20th anniversary next year. August 26th, 27th, and 28th, when I had one of the greatest privileges of my life. Uh, I went out and bought a $1,000 telescope because I heard that Mars was coming closest to the Earth, closer to the Earth than it had in 60,000 years. And I've been at astronomy for about 20 years, and I said, man, I'm not going to miss this. Mm-hmm. So I got it, and when I looked at Mars, those three nights, on the 28th, I I spent two hours, almost three hours on the roof watching it. It was, it was so close you felt you could touch it. It was like a pink neon bulb in the sky. And as it was turning, I saw on the right side, which should be, let's just call it the east side, there was a really dark space, like something had been shaved out. It wasn't a perfectly round orb. It was kind of slightly flattened. And as it turned slowly, very slowly, it was morning sunlight, it was coming in. And when it turned fully, I saw an eyeball in the sky. And to be quite frank with you, it terrified me. I have never felt a sensation like, or I had never felt a sensation like that in all my life. There's a thing we call fear. There's a thing we call shock. And there's a thing we call dread. And dread is what I felt. When I saw that black people looking back at me, in one glance, I knew that Mars had been destroyed. Whatever ecosystem existed there, whether there was uh, a humanoid life or not, whatever ecosystem existed there was wiped off the face of Mars in one shot. That created a region of Mars that is now called Solus Locus, and the, mm-hmm. south, the south southern region is called Talmacia. And I realized that this thing was what caused the, the Tarsus bulge. It flattened that area of Mars. It upraised uh, the Tarsus highlands, which is a ridge of, of palisades that stretches for hundreds of miles. And I knew at that moment what a huge lie NASA had been foisting on the world because I saw a dynamic, living, breathing planet with weather, lightnings. Talk about lightning. You talk about the aurora borealis, northern and southern lights. I saw arcs of plasma shooting over Mars from the North Pole to the South Pole. And it took NASA years to uh, admit that to people. Now it's commonly accepted that nobody really brings it uh, to public attention. I saw arcs of something that I named the uh, Aurora Australoborealis, because these arcs, like lightning, huge streams of it, were going across, the, over the surface of the planet, kind of like a slinky. You know when we used to play the slinky? You made it go from one hand to the other.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, absolutely. It was just... Oh no, like stairs, man. Man, you yeah. gotta have stairs if you're gonna yeah, play with
4: stairs. A for the but also, here's another thing. All along the Tarsus Highlands, I saw clouds that were a thousand miles long. They were rolling off the highlands like logs, and they were all parallel going across that area of uh, Tarsus and then across Sidonia, because that's what we were looking at. Uh, later on i'll come back to it and we'll talk about uh, some of those pictures in uh in my section but uh I'll hey, tell robert you t-
2: yes before before you re- be, uh yeah before you do uh, yeah, i i'm surprised some of your pictures are missing what happened to the um uh where's the crystal city and that stuff I mentioned I, know, it. I mentioned it because I mentioned the Sphinx earlier, and that, that oh, no, that's on no, the
4: that same image. I'm just, Ron, Ron, you misunderstood. Yeah. I was asking for those pictures so that I can put show, showcase your work on Coast to Coast next Wednesday.
8: When oh, I'm, I'm,
4: cool! I'm going to be on Coast wow. to Coast next Wednesday at 3 a.m. in New York, 12 midnight in California, with George Nouri, and uh, it's going to be about Mars again. But I I honor your work. And I said, well, thank I, you, sir. i
2: no I just not, didn't want to.
4: oh okay okay okay
2: yeah i i, I tell, yeah, I told you the email i was you were perfectly free to do whatever you liked with him, so yeah. um that's all good, but uh we yeah we shouldn't shouldn't give George too many promos, probably no. <clears
7: Okay. laughs> let anyway,
2: let's let's, let's pretend promo. that we let's pretend that we all hate each other like like oh, radio man. shows are supposed
4: so, to,
0: so yeah, Robert, can, can I ask you a sir? question George,
4: you're really good?
0: Robert, can I ask you a question? Uh, So that eye that we're looking at, or that hole, is that on the surface of Mars, or is that Phobos Mm -hmm. in between Mars and your...
4: No, no. Are you talking about the picture number six?
0: Yeah, number six.
8: No,
4: no, no. That's what I saw through the telescope. It's not not a moon, no.
8: uh,
4: Phobos is nowhere near that size. What I'm saying is, as long as you brought it up, if you look at picture five, and enlarge it, you are looking at the same region, identical region, which is in picture five, which was taken in South Africa by Sebastian Walmer in 2018, when Mars came again to its closest point since 2003.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: You see a bright line, horizontal line, quasi-horizontal in the center. That's the uh, Valles Marineris. And over to the left of that, or to the west of that, you see three humps and one of them is kind of a hollow those are the, the tarsus uh, montes the tarsus volcanoes to the south of it to the south of the Valles marineris you can see the depth of the impact of this meteor and another one of the deceptions of uh, nasa is to lie to us and to the world public about the actual depth of solus lacus and Talmacia. You can see in this, I enhanced this picture. It's a wonderful photograph taken by a South African astronomer. Uh, thank you, Gary Legere, for mm-hmm. sharing it with me. So I, I improved the contrast so that you can see the depth. And these are miles deep. Uh, it's, it's more than the Grand Canyon. You know, they talk about the Valles Marineris being the, uh, like the Grand Canyon 18 mile wide, 4 miles deep, but this area to the south of uh, Valles, Mar- Valles, Mar- yeah, they, Valles
2: Marineris... I think Valles yeah, isn't it Valles Marineris, is it over 6 miles deep?
4: Yes, that's the Richard six, and question. 6 and 4, but I'm talking about yeah. this area. Now, if you look hmm? at that little bend, where you have the bright spots. You have a very bright white light in the center, and then you see the skeletal remains of the Valles Marineris, that area immediately below is called Sinai. And the area near it is called Syria. And they went on to name all of these things with uh, uh, Greco-Roman nomenclature. And they named that giant volcano. You see the dark spot up at what we would say 10 o'clock. Let's think about this uh, image. Sure. But at 10 o'clock you see a dark spot that uh, cuts off the the uh, circumference somewhat that's um olympus mons so they knew that they were looking at the primordial the real mount olympus wait 10 o'clock or 10 or 2 o'clock no 10 o'clock oh okay 10 Got o'clock you. just a dark shadow uh, on the on the limb that's actually olympus mons if you come a little closer you see a dimple over there at um, let's call it not exactly 270 but about 265 degrees there's a, a dark spot at temple that is one of the three volcanoes um, uh pavonia aquarius mons and uh, the, the third one that uh it's facing those three are lined up but i'm talking about the death you see the darkness of the shadows to the south of the valley uh, of that's how deep it was so here we have the sunlight streaming into it, straight down into it, and so we can see the depths. But when the sun is at afternoon or morning sunlight, it's cutting across these depths, and so the sunlight doesn't hit the bottom. And what you see is the blackness, so opaque, that it looks like the pupil of an eye. And that's what uh, figure number six is. Okay. Cool. I saw that, and so I took... One of the best pictures that, uh, of Mars that had been released, a, full, a daytime picture, and I filled in that area from the Dallas Marineris down into Talmacia to create a photo facsimile of what my eyes had seen that night, August 28, 2003. And I'll tell you that it looked at me, I looked at it, and I was frightened by what I saw in the, in the gut. Uh, that's why I call it dread, because I realized, now all of life on earth could be expunged in one shot and nobody will ever know what happens. that's what happened to Mars. Well, what's the story with your number three?
0: Oh, well, three. I'll, I'll, oh, why don't we hold leave that, that for hold, after hold the break? This is us for after the yeah.
4: Right. Okay. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go
0: break. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go to break. Um, I, I know that just, I have a question, but, uh, like I said, it's going to, it's going to come after the break. And, yes. uh, it's got to do with. Um, it was going to do with. It's, it's got to do with the what you thought about the volcanoes that were the volcano that was erupting on Mars, and they said it's just uh, condensation. All oh, right, yeah. let Another me host. let me take us to break. Are right, you listening to the other side of midnight? I'm your host Keith Morgan, and we'll be back after this break.
9: topics and events through the lens of hyper-dimensional physics. Join Club 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archived shows, only $9.95 per month. Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcasts heard in over 160 countries around the world, real research, real data. Real
7: Science
9: The Other Side of Midnight.com The Other Side of Midnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com.
0: Welcome back to the other side of midnight. We've got a good conversation going on here, and we're making some good points. Um, We're going to get back to uh, Robert because he's got some good stuff we need to to go over. And uh, I was asking Robert a question about the the volcano on Mars that was erupting the whole year, and they said, oh, it's just condensation, and and it's only occurring certain times of the year. But it's went throughout the entire year of the uh, M- Mars year and the Earth year. so
4: well, the, the, the plumes stretch for hundreds, almost a thousand miles. I can't recall whether it was Arcea Mons or Ascreas Mons. The, the names of the Tarsus Montes are Arcea Mons, which is in the south, Pavonis Mons is in the center, and Ascraeus Mons is in the north. And um, what about three years ago, they started to notice uh, one of the Mars uh, orbital satellites started to catch a huge plume of smoke that was emanating from one of these. I think it was from Osprey's Mines. I know it was one of them. And they started saying that this was due to the wind uh, creating pressure effects that were creating some kind of condensation, which was totally BS because um, a pressure effect did not last for a 1,000 miles. On a planet whose atmosphere they claim is so thin that it's like 100,000 feet uh, on Earth. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about some of these uh, uh arguments that NASA makes regarding the atmosphere. But uh, with regard to this one, I came to the conclusion that this uh, volcano was erupting, but not powerfully enough to erupt out of the central crater, but even on earth, there are a lot of volcanoes that are active, for example, the one in Tenerife, and they discharge uh, steam from the base in structures called fumaroles. Fuma Fuma means to smoke. Fumar in Spanish means to smoke. So fumaroles are these uh, smoky uh, apertures that uh, at the base or perhaps a little higher up the slope but not at the crater so that's what i believe is happening and
0: Robert, hey, can, but, no, no. did you notice that after that volcano was showing its its teeth yeah. uh, it must have been uh, almost a year later all of a sudden we had all these volcanoes going off on the earth all over the place Things that have been dormant for the longest time. Did you notice that? It's almost yes, like indeed. it's almost like there was some kind of gravitational wave that reached us and triggered the same thing going on here that was triggered triggered that volcano on Mars. And I thought that was too coincidental. It's almost like in that Star Trek episode where uh, Q Q was on the Enterprise and he had lost his power and the uh there was a moon about to crash into the, this planet and they were trying to figure out a way to keep it from crashing and q said something about oh this is simple this is just a probably a black hole crossing at a 90 degree angle to the to the plane of the solar system it just changed the gravitational constant and you and it's what you, oh, I, the think I think that's a great
4: insight that's a great insight because yeah. you know it puts it puts the lie to this argument that uh, global warming is happening because of human activity you know and this whole hysteria about co2 in the atmosphere do you do you guys i want to ask you a question a friend asked me they say that there's too much uh, co2 in the atmosphere take a guess at a percentage of how much co2 is actually in earth's atmosphere at this time let me ask Ron, Ron, how much uh, CO2 do you think is in in the atmosphere at this time? That it's co- causing causing this climate hysteria.
2: It's a two-digit know? number, but not a big one. Yeah, uh, what is it? Uh, I'm trying to think. It's uh, the oxygen's anywhere from 11 to 20 percent, depending on where you are. But uh, no,
4: CO2, carbon
2: dioxide's less than that.
4: Well, I'll give me a percentage, just I guess off the top of your head. 14. Wrong, And Okay. Anybody else?
0: I'm okay. thinking 2%. That's what I said.
4: Look, Ron, Ron, Ron I'm not, I don't want to yeah. my, my When my friend asked me this, I said mm, 16%. And he said, wrong. The yeah. amount of CO2 <laughs> in the atmosphere is 0.000416%. Mm,
0: okay. Aha.
4: 0. Uh-huh. 0.000416%. <laughs> 416 parts per million. So, back back to Keith's uh, insight. Yeah, plus the trees would all die
2: if there wasn't any carbon dioxide for them to
4: eat. Carbon, (laughs) and they're saying, oh, there hasn't been this much carbon since uh, 300,000 or 3 million years ago. Well, guess what what was going on? It was the carboniferous era. Which was the greatest burgeoning of life on Earth that has ever occurred. Carbon is good for life. Trees yep. breathe carbon dioxide. We would die without carbon on this planet. Why do we call the foods that we eat carbohydrates? Huh? Mm-hmm. Listen, Greta Thunberg should stay in Scandinavia and uh, go back to school. I'm really sick of it. And they are hijacking the world's resources. They are stealing uh, our treasury on this bogus claim that global warming is destroying the Earth. Listen to this. It was 20, well, I guess it's 22 years ago where um, Al Gore was arguing about the the poor polar bears and the melting of of, uh, the ice sheets. And NASA, in those days, did a study, a population study of polar bears. Oh, it's only 15,000 polar bears left. But guess what happened during this global warming period of the last 20 years? They did another population study about two or three years ago. There are 40,000 polar bears now. Why? Because polar bears, just like humans, really like warm weather. (laughs) I'm telling you, the arguments they are making are ludicrous. Back to Chief Insight, something yeah, is triggering, triggering that volcanic eruption on Mars, triggering volcanic eruptions on Earth, and Earth, Mars, and I remember Jupiter and Neptune were warming up according to a certain gradient, which is consistent with warming up due to solar activity. It's not human beings. It's not cow farts. It's not human farts. But you know what else? Mm-hmm. They, With this theory that they have, blaming cows and cow flatulence and why they have to stop producing meat, the greatest producer of carbon dioxide on this planet are not cars, but human breath. So this whole mania that they're involved with is tied in to this desire to cut down the human population because we're breathing too much. And every time we take a breath in, Not only do we take atmosphere that is at a lower temperature, but we warm it up inside ourselves. We're at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit inside. We warm it up, and then we exude carbon dioxide. So this is is the basis of this conspiracy against humankind.
2: Well, they're all claiming that the entire human population are a bunch of illegal aliens. We didn't didn't uh, come from this planet, uh, so we don't belong here.
4: About, um, let's leave that for later yeah. when we talk about human origins. Okay. But I want to get back to Keith.
0: My thing is, what if Nibiru is real? It's a large red ring planet and it comes back every 3,600 Earth years. What if it is on the way back and its gravitational influence is causing these things to take place on these planets? According to the tablets, 450,000 years ago, Mars had rivers and lakes, okay? That's why they built their way station on Mars. If it had rivers and lakes 450,000 years ago, not a million, not a billion, but 450,000 years ago, then what devastated that planet? Could it be because their planet came back through and caused something to uh, devastate the planet? Maybe one of their moons grazed it, or did something, or I don't well, know. Keith,
4: when you say they, when you say well, they, you should we should make it clear that the they you're talking about is Anunnaki, right?
0: right.
2: Yes. Okay. So yeah, we yeah we could duel, we so could duel clear. with models about this. Richard's model is not the same as mine about that stuff, and that's probably not the same as yours, Robert,
4: because sure. we weren't
2: there. We've got to so cover here all here now, the bases. And,
4: hey, we're here now and we can speculate. Speculation is a perfectly reasonable tool when you are working with logic and uh, deduction. But uh, we're getting into the realm of legend and mythology, and I say to people, you know, legend and myths are not false. Every myth and every legend grows around a central truth. And as Graham Hancock pointed out in The Fingerprints of the Gods, Myth is a way of transmitting an essential truth in a simple form that will preserve that truth and prevent it from being altered over a long period of time. So when it comes to this uh, destruction of Mars, I'm with um, Brandenburg, Life and Death on Mars. I think there was a nuclear holocaust that devastated Mars and destroyed the planet that once formed the asteroid belt. Andrew, you were going to ask me Yeah,
1: something? sorry, sorry hmm. to cut in. No um, problem. Well, you, you guys are naming it. Like, Look, we're experiencing now on this planet, at least in the Western world and throughout our Western culture, a certain segment, a certain political point of view that is under or trying to, although it's changing now, to cancel culture. Are we looking at an ancient cancel culture? And why is that? Was it deliberate? Or was it to... Expunge it from our memories because it was su- such a horrific event that we just couldn't handle the psychological implications of what it meant. Because it is a cancel cult- canceled culture, or maybe Absolutely. a series of cultures. Ooh, good connection.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I think the greatest cancel culture uh, cancel of culture in the history of the world is the flood, and it seems that these quote unquote gods, uh, you know, are irascible and irritable. And every once in a while, they say, oh, "Okay, you know, clear the canvas. We want to start all over again." So the canceling of the culture on Earth by the primordial flood. Uh, let's not forget that Chichilu also happened. Okay? Chichilu impact uh, in uh, the Gulf of Mexico. Chixilu. I said "Yes, and you said okay, Chixilu. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. that event cleared the canvas for humankind to emerge by clearing off the dinosaurs.
0: Well, if uh, we, according to the tablets, the, according to Inky, he said there was some celestial event that took place that created a tsunami so huge it encompassed the entire planet. And mm-hmm. there is a relief from Samaria showing these people with Egyptian headdress on looking at the Earth from a distance and around the circumference is this huge curl and when I first saw that, I had no clue what I was looking at. But then after I read The Lost Book of Inki, I knew what it was. That was the Anunnaki in space watching this flood take place. And I think he said the entire continental ice shell fell into the ocean creating this tsunami and it encompassed the entire planet. And
2: uh, I'm not going to let Sitchin go that far. This is well, it. You're, talking You're talking Sitchin You're not, no, talking, this, not talking actual. This
0: is tanky. this he is his translation. This is his translation. It's not his interpretation of the translation. Because when, when his
2: translations are as good as anyone else's, and that's it, been scholarly yeah, demonstrated. Yeah, but, but then his I'm, interpretations are no better than yours and mine.
0: Yeah, but his interpretations. I I'm asking him questions. He's going read the book. Read the book. You got six books out. Which one's got my answer? When he, before he passed, he put out the right book, which is the Lost Book of Inky, which is just the translations. Even if he gets up for down or cat for dog wrong, it's the main logistics of the story that's being told that tells us what's going on. And,
2: well, so and I don't it's not sound like a battering rat. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Because here's his the, interpretations are not
7: what you're I
3: interpret
2: You're talking about the flood. Yeah. And virtually every place, every place on, on Earth and every culture has a flood story. I'll call it a flood story, not even a flood myth, although most of them are, because they're all way after the fact. There's nobody that was floating along in a little dinghy alongside the ark that uh, uh, was keeping track of it in their diaries. You know, these are all stories from before. In the, in the uh, American, uh, North American uh, traditions, uh, they talk about the waters uh, rising up out of the earth. And in fact, as part of what was going on during the uh, end of the last ice age, uh, forming the Great Lakes, things like that, <clears throat> the, uh, the Mississippi was like 20 miles wide. So that, that looked like there was nothing but water. 20 miles wide, you're, you're going past the horizon. You, know, you can't see anything but water looking over that way. It might as might as well be Columbus standing on the, uh, standing on the shores you of Portugal. But if you've got a
0: tsunami encompassing the planet where they can see it from space traveling around the planet, that's what that relief is showing us.
2: Yeah, well, that would mean that they came back and told the story. We're yeah. talking about people that were on the ground and hopefully survived, and mm-hmm. a lot of them did. That's why there's a bunch of stories. Yeah. There's a completely different flood story, which gets conflated with the one, that one from North America that I just mentioned, that comes that was much earlier. That happened when the Black Sea uh, spilled. Let's call it spilling. They're, they're used to uh, what are the uh, the other pillars of Hercules or the Bosphorus there? Um, was it was plugged up, and there was an inland sea that went over from the Black Sea, over completely absorbing what's now called the uh, Sea of Azov and a bunch of other terrain and completely covered that region in water. And all of a sudden the dam broke one day. Right now, whatever That's cosmic true. event caused that, we don't know for sure. But then it, uh, that caused incredible cat- catastrophes, lots of places, and they all had a different interpretation based on what it looked like to them locally.
0: But think about yeah, this, like once you get that much that water out. moving through the atmosphere, you're going to get a lot Not of that. evaporation and yeah. then like it rained for 40 you know, days and uh, 40 uh, nights uh, that's well, what well
2: that's another yeah but that wouldn't even that wouldn't happened everywhere it, uh, mm-hmm. because the events that followed the uh, end of the ice age had very little
4: effect on egypt Strangely well, you, know, enough, you know the other side the gates of hercules uh, was uh, something really powerful and i think it may have had an, been an astronomical cause of it Because, as Ron says, the Mediterranean Sea was an inland lake. And then something ruptured the the Pillars of Hercules, Gibraltar. It opened up. Turns out that this was proven by uh, marine uh, geology with the Glomar Explorer. They found that the waters around Spain and um, uh, Gibraltar, the depth of the Mediterranean is 600 feet deeper than the eastern Mediterranean and so they hypothesized mm-hmm. that when the pillars of Hercules were uh, ruptured, the, the influx of the Atlantic Ocean was so powerful that it gouged out uh, a pit 600 feet deep and then flooded the rest of the Mediterranean, which may lead to all the way up to the Black Sea, Sea of Azov, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the eastern Mediterranean, and even spilling over into Arabia, the Red Sea, uh, and the flood stories that emerge from, from Mesopotamia.
2: And everybody had their own take on it. Yeah, it was, yes, not, exactly. it was not one signature story, and it happened at different times because they, like I, the reason I said the other colors of Hercules, Hercules and a lot of the old texts, uh, even some Greek stuff, uh, when they ref- reference that they are not talking about uh, gibraltar they're talking about the uh, a blockage uh, up the um, uh, between Scylla and Carynus up the uh, up around this you, you know were, at the bottom not- of the black Sea and that was a completely separate event
0: but remember and- you 're dealing with people who couldn 't see the world for what it was. all they could see is what they knew and they didn 't know that much. Inky, on the other hand, he's a technological. Well, they knew
2: the world was round. You're selling the ancient Greeks short, and the, and the Babylonians. Both well, of them knew the earth was round. It's just they had flat earthers at the same at the time. I'm not talking and about whether flat... they argued with a
0: flat earther today. They're impossible to dissuade from their beliefs. I know. I, I got a flat yeah. earth nephew, but I'm, that's go. not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about couldn't interpret what was going on because they didn't understand the technology. But in the tablets that Inky dictated to the human scribe that wrote down his experience and what Inky told him to write down, they knew this was going to happen. They were warned about it. They were supposed to close down the mines, get up off the planet, go to Lemieux and stay there, Mars, or stay in orbit until this subsided. But Inky was told to take the life essence of everything on the planet into space with him. But then he was also supposed to get the humans to build this submersible which in turns out to be the Ark. And the guy's name was Noah, but he tells the story about how they knew this was going to happen. But our ancestors were not privy to that kind of understanding of the technology. The whole time.
4: about Atrahasis. Atrahasis is the Sumerian Noah who was warned by Enki yeah. to take his house and rebuild it into a boat and, feel the place between the timbers with pitch. But i like to step back from terrestrial cataclysms and and look at the solar system and contemplate various cataclysms that disrupted the whole solar system in ancient times. Cataclysms that caused the, uh, the destruction of the planet that created the asteroid belt. The entrance of Venus into our solar system which uh, eventually wound up in that orbit uh, between Mercury and Earth. Its, year is lo- its uh, day is longer than its year. It seems to orbit in, uh, in a rather odd direction. Um, then the formation of the moon, which is now ascribed to an impact by a hypothetical planetoid named Thea mm-hmm. and supposedly formed within one month. That's the latest. When I went to the American Museum of Natural History, Hayden Planetarium, I saw a a planetarium uh, presentation of the formation of the moon. And they said that theia came in from outside the solar system, a foreign body. It impacted the Earth at about 18 kilometers per minute. So a slow crunching, scraping out of the Pacific Basin that it carried off terrestrial material and the waters and material from Theta that then started to orbit the Earth and here was the shocker they had put all of this information that we've gathered on astrophysics into three super uh, crazy supercomputers Los Alamos uh, NASA's other one and one in Japan, they compiled the data, and this one was really what floored me. They said that the moon coalesced within one month's period of time, that the material, the the water, the material, terrestrial material, and the material from Theia started to orbit the Earth like a ring, and then agglomerated into the moon within a month's time.
2: That's. I dearly been. love the Hayden Observatory, but the uh, or the Hayden Planetarium, but the uh, I don't buy that story at all. Garbage well, um, in, garbage look. out.
0: But hey, well, let's let's look at it from the right. the, the tablet standpoint, okay? In- Why?
2: Why? we have got science.
0: You've got you've got ancient uh, yeah, but, Sumerian tablets. Well,
4: I think the tablets were the science of ancient times. Ron. Let them have. Let them have a study, Well, yeah, they were. They're older, the they're, the, they're older than the Bible.
0: They're over. They're older than the Bible. They're older than the the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's it's a dictation from somebody who understood the technology to a human who had no clue about the technology. Okay, but it, if you listen to what he said, is that the God, I'm losing my thought now. Um, We're talking about the moon here? Yeah, the moon. Formation the, the moon. This planet was between Mars and Jupiter. Okay, It was called Tiamat. It was a watery planet. Their planet cuts across all the orbits of the sun, uh, of the planets in, this, in our solar system, like a comet. One of its moons smacked into that watery planet, breaking it up, creating the asteroid field. A chunk of it came in this orbit with the water, reformed, dragging the moon that hit it in the first place, and they both came in and coalesced in this orbit, and that's what we're on. And the story goes that Marduk, Nibiru was also known as Marduk, shot an arrow into the heart of Tiamat, and Tiamat was the planet, that this planet was the watery planet. But they took that parable, and these guys have interpreted it as literal, and Marduk slayed Tiamat and created the Euphrates and Tigris rivers, and, and then the rest created the continents of the planet. And I'm going, how can you create the continents of the planet after you've created the, the, the Euphrates and Tigris rivers? It didn't make exactly. that Exactly. sense. But that's exactly. not what the yeah. book says. The book doesn't say that. The book says it, this is, it's a parable about Marduk Nibiru one of its moons smacking into tiamat breaking it up
2: Parable. good word yeah. good word better than even better than fable i right. you know there's a chinese myth that involves the moon goddess robert can jump in on this one and her husband uh the uh, who was the great archer and they hmm. had a little prob they had a little problem where there were not ni- uh instead of the sun doing what it's supposed to do there were nine nice. suns in the sky hmm? five sons, but yeah. you're right you're right five. the number varies and he five. had to shoot all down, shoot them all down but one with his magic arrow and that uh, stabilized everything and so that was great but yeah. in spite yeah. of his greatness he, his, why you his name was Yu Yu you? you're right
7: yeah,
2: yeah. and uh, thank you yeah the yeah. Uh, and he it? was uh, but he wanted to become not just the ruler the immortal ruler and so it got into that whole uh Mishigash about the um immortality serum and his wife took it John. and
0: and That's fled the to the
2: moon to keep it
0: keep him from becoming immortal yeah. guys, and, okay, guys we're coming up on a down. break okay oh, we yeah we're about the to... okay
2: andrew's up and then give andrew the the gavel the baton,
0: the baton. <laughs> the
2: baton. yeah the oh, baton give him the bat. thank you give him the bat. uh, yeah
0: yeah all right guys uh, when we come back, uh, we're gonna we're gonna hand it over to Andrew and and we'll keep this debate going because this is getting interesting. I like it. All right, you're on the other side of midnight, and uh, we'll be right back after this break.
7: truth out of sight is out of mind I had no idea that I would
3: The other side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Search the archives. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Membership costs $9.95 a month.
0: And welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. I'm your host, Keith Morgan, and we're having a great conversation. We're going to come to Andrew now, and we're going to talk about uh, some of the things that he's got on his mind. So, Andrew, you want to take it away?
1: Yeah, thank you, Keith. So I think it might have been Ron that said this, or maybe it was Robert, but somebody mentioned the grumpy gods. And I thought that's such a salient point because, you know, in many of these ancient human fables myth stories etc the gods tend to have pretty human-like characteristics it's like a um, it's like a soap opera it's like a grand epic soap opera most of the time and um you know who are we talking about these grumpy gods you know and and i and i reference again this time now because you know as we know we've had a pretty shock to the to the planetary system for the last two years and we continue to go through more waves of um, either contrived or organically happening events, um, and we don't need to get deep into that. But you know, is there somebody or something steering events that, are, that continue to be grumpy with human beings? And when do humans finally graduate to be fully functioning, sentient and independent? beings in this universe i know i know there's again those are huge questions but you know we're we're seeing let me reference another thing so one of the guests that's been on uh the other side of midnight is a friend and colleague of mine and we also coach together our our youngest sons baseball uh so you guys were right well folks they were talking wondering where i was and i was coaching baseball but baseball cabal. (laughs) i brought it back in but arun Selvaraj, and he is um from india and he actually, uh, you know, heard of Richard in India. You know, there's a billion people there, and people are listening there too to to Richard very keenly. And you know, he talked about a time, at least in in the Hindu culture, where the gods walked among us, and that's a recurring theme everywhere. And then suddenly, in India, at least, the gods were gone, or at least they disappeared from view. And I, I guess my my point is, we're we're looking at, you know, some grumpy, powerful people who either have we've inherited qualities from them. ron you and i've had these 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 conversations before and that maybe human beings have something that they didn't want us to have and you know maybe our torch is too bright but we just haven't figured out how to work in a cohesive way to sort of propel ourselves and i think people are there i want to read a very quick piece and then I'll, i'll 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 give over the gavel Now, this is something that I wrote about and I talked about on the show before. You know, Elon Musk, he has repeatedly said we have to go to Mars because we don't want to go through another dark ages. And that's a very interesting reference to have to start humanity all over again. And, of course, I think he's referenced nuclear war uh, potentially happening on Earth again. But there was a study done in 2016. Uh, By a research group called the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science, and they were out of Seattle, Washington. I don't know if they're still around, but they penned a report outlining how human colonization on Mars would require autonomy from Earth-based governing. I'm going to read just a little bit of this, something that I had written about this, and then you guys can comment. What I'm saying is I think there are human beings that are preparing to reclaim our heritage throughout the solar system. So here it goes. The report was titled, A Pragmatic Approach to Sovereignty on Mars, and it combined elements from three treaties, the Antarctic Treaty System, the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, and the Outer Space Treaty. The OST decries, or decrees that the exploration and use of outer space shall be carried out for the benefit and in the interests of all countries, and shall be the province of all mankind to ensure that space is free for exploration and use by all states. While acknowledging tenants of the 1967 Outer Space Treaty uh, have been thus far successful in maintaining peaceful international relations in space, and let's think of the Russians who have said they will continue to, I think, work in, in cohesion with everybody else in terms of the space station. The authors suggest that it's a main non-appropriation principle could be challenged by the inevitable commercial interests of private corporations. Huh, Elon Musk, anybody? Among their recommendations is the idea of a Martian government loosely based around a central administrative secretariat with local power residing in the hands of the Martian settlers and cooperation among the various colonies being the main feature for future dispute resolutions. Another recommendation suggests establishing preserved planetary parks on Mars. And this is one small paragraph, and I'll stop. In an attempt to accept the inevitable and in order to staunch the potential harmful effects of human colonization Of another planet We propose a model for colonization That will preserve large swaths of Mars Listen to this For scientific, aesthetic Historical, cultural Environmental, spiritual And a variety of other purposes As well as to allow human settlement With economic and commercial goals To occur So there are people making plans To get humans organized to start putting our tent posts down on a plate like mars now are we going to be able to do it or are the grumpy gods going to come grumpy and who are they
7: hmm.
4: that's a good question yeah i think it's because the
0: anunnaki now
2: yeah. uh, again with the anunnaki yeah the uh that's a good name for him i mean it's it's variations of it pop up all over the place, but uh, no, I don't think, I think that there's, I think that they're already integrated into our cultural matrix. You know, they're not, uh, they, they don't maintain the distance they used to. And so therefore they don't stick out. You know, they've got their, they've they've got their fingers in a lot of earth pies. I think Might say, that's my opinion, whoever they might be. And I think there's lots of them. You know, I don't know that there's a simple answer because I don't think it's a simple universe. I think there's many, many cultures out there, and of course they're going to exploit, and of course they're going to try to dominate if it's to their advantage to do so. You know, uh, you could count all the examples of absolute, um, uh, absolute compassion, and uh, I'm I'm sure. Why am I not thinking of the word? You know, do-gooders. There, it's, there, there isn't, there aren't a lot of do-gooders in history, and they usually get screwed themselves if they try. So, in terms of whole cultures, yeah, you know, I, I think it's perfectly plausible that some race exterminated the dinosaurs to make it easier for the hominids to to develop. Uh, but I could explain the di- disruption of the planets in two or three minutes. Don't know if it's right or not, but there's lots of simple answers. You know, it's. Uh, But yeah, they're coming back, Uh, except I think they're already here. But they may not... uh, Go ahead, Richard,
4: Robert. Edgar Casey said that that was uh, a decision of uh, greater minds than ours, that the dinosaurs were overrunning the Earth, and humanity would never have evolved, so the decision was made on a cosmic level to destroy the dinosaurs. It was remarkable, you know, that Edgar Casey was writing these things in the 1930s, and he said that there was a, a cosmic cataclysm as directed at Earth in order specifically to destroy dinosaurs so that humanity could emerge. But I'd like to take a moment to kind of rehabilitate the language. There's a word that uh, Ron used before, and uh, it, it's really slung uh, in uh, mass media as if it's a dirty, filthy, despicable word, and the word is speculation. And I would like you to understand the original meaning of speculation, which comes from the late 14th century. It means intelligent contemplation, consideration, active looking. In the old French, speculation, uh, I said that with a German accent, by the way, close observation <laughs> and rapt attention. <laughs> and then late Latin, the Vici version. observation, yes. uh, to observe to look at and to view, meaning pursuit of the truth by means of thinking. So I think that the greatest act of speculation of the 20th century was Einstein's relativity theory when he said, I was doing a thought experiment. A thought experiment is speculation. So it, it is a respectable word. It's a useful tool. There's another one called inference, which was invented by St. Thomas More. It was St. Thomas More, the, um, I guess I would call him a Catholic theologian, but also a scientist who invented inference. He decided that it was perfectly legitimate to solve a case and solve a murder by collecting various pieces of information, bringing them together and making an inference. So I believe that speculation is respectable and so is an inference, and they work hand in hand. So let's not sling the word of speculation at each other as if it's a, a dirty thing or a, or a bad thing to do. Good point. It is to think. Intelligent contemplation, consideration of thinking, and Einstein's thought experiments were pure speculation. So uh, let's give it a little more respect. Now, I'd like to go back to this concept of Nibiru, because I I reserve judgment on Nibiru, but I do believe in Planet X and I do believe in the Dark Twin because uh, there is scientific evidence uh, or
7: uh, Mm -hmm.
4: substantiation for their existence. The Dark Twin is a very interesting uh, concept. The idea that this... As I've heard it over the last two years, most star systems are binary systems. They're like twins. And they, So where is Earth's twin? The dark, the dark star or the brown dwarf or the whatever number of names that give it. It is a presence that uh, may be coming closest. It, it could be something that inspired the theory of Nibiru. And I don't dismiss any of them. I keep an open mind, and I, I kind of see them overlapping and nesting together as uh, possible ways of, of explaining these myths and legends. And myths and legends have a, a nugget of truth around which the myth and the legend is woven. So I'd like to throw that out on the table. And to say that I do believe Brandenburg, John Brandenburg's uh, discovery that there was a nuclear holocaust on Mars they created xenon 29 scattered all over the place, and that that may indicate that there was a cosmic war between the planet Marduk and the planet Mars. And why do we always associate that planet with war and uh, bloodshed and killing, etc., etc., etc.? So that's always been about.
2: one of the be- biggest questions because the fact that it's red in the sky to the mm-hmm. eye. Is not enough, you know, for because it's there have been exceptions to that. Uh,
1: this is the kind of
2: stuff where one needs to do prep work if they expect that to come up. But I know that there are exceptions in the call it various cultural matrix- matrices that the uh, to calling uh, it the you know the hot blooded um, place of war, and the um, so. Yeah, it's a good good question where these analogies come from. They almost have to have come from some sort of visitation.
7: Yes.
3: I wanted
4: to go back to my clip about the monkeys. You know, the first trick of science was to convince us that we evolved from monkeys so that when they treat us like monkeys, we won't complain. I'd like to go back to that. Uh, That's fine. The evolution is is just that. It's not proven, but it may happen. Now, I believe... don't get me started on evolution. No. On the development of humanity,
7: evolution
4: <laughs> is a factor, but it works very slowly. But, and so it does not explain the quantum leap in human intelligence and development that occurred over the last 150,000 years. There are two things that are operant in our development. One is slow evolution, and then the other one is mutation. Now, mutation can happen abnormally. Uh, For example, exposure to radiation, or it can happen intentionally. And now we know with all of the uh, knowledge that we derive uh, from uh, genetics and uh, molecular biology and DNA manipulation, that mutation is quite uh, easy to achieve. And this is what they may be doing right now with vaccines and mRNA and graphene and spike proteins. So I believe that sometime in the not so distant past, um, another intelligence intervened in human affairs, intervened in human evolution, created a mutation that produced what we call um, Homo sapien, or even more specifically, cro Uh I
2: mentioned
4: a template before.
2: Uh, yes, we're talking about the, uh, the Egyptian uh, artwork, and they weren't really the only ones to do that. They were just more—they were just better at it. Uh, but uh, I think we are, represent a template. I—I you know, I, I go beyond panspermia. I believe that uh, we were—we were
5: constructed. We
2: were but I think that in order to do that, you can't simply do it in a in a in a, in a weekend in a in a fancy lab. It takes uh, millennia to make those changes stick because nature always gets a vote. We are part of try, try as we might to be otherwise. Uh, we're part of the environment. We're part of the overall matrix. And so, therefore, uh, any changes have to be done slowly so that they can be sort of fit into the local, um, um, the local milieu. you. And I think that's what happened. And I was just, I just ran across uh, another uh, debate paper last week about uh, where did Neanderthals come from. And that's an easy place to start for people to think about this. I mean, there is no question from the uh, archaeological record that Neanderthals uh, and the, what are now known as anatomically modern humans, and I apologize for all of the Scholars in the world that we can't say Cro-Magnon anymore because somebody decided that that wasn't right, but it's yeah those guys us you know I like them. Uh, <laughs> I really do too like... it's got a nice sound it's, it's, Cro- it's from okay. yeah it, it 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 literally means caveman in a very ancient uh, earlier version of French um, in case anybody wondered uh, the crow part is the cave part so uh, anyway the um, point is that. They can, uh, Neanderthals and humans can freely interbreed. I mean, if we were you to find a clump of them now. So there's lots of Neanderthal DNA in uh, modern humans. And anybody that you know that has incredibly large teeth relative to whether, the way most, most people do, very pretty teeth, that can be fine. But they're bigger. Uh, that's, that, that's an indication of a lot of Neanderthal DNA, just like a colossal forehead sometimes indicates that, but that doesn't matter. The point is that when you look at them anatomically, Neanderthals had a brain that was a different size and a different shape than ours. That's not a trivial thing. That's not like having big feet like the, uh, homo floresiensis that were found in, um,
7: hobbits. uh, the
2: fossil record in, uh, the far East, the, you know, the hobbits.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: That were in the news a couple of years ago. It's, uh, you know, I mean, a, a different brain, they've got, you know, they, they had a brain shaped like a baguette and we have a brain shaped uh, like a rugby ball. You know, that's not uh, if that uh, that you would think that that wouldn't be something that would just kind of work its way in. You know, you would think it would be something that wouldn't fit well. So some some work had to be done to tinker us to the, um, uh, you know, to match. So that that interbreeding could take place, because it turned out that the uh, the other strain that we know about, and there were at least two more that we don't even have names for yet, but we know there are two wildcard DNA strain strains that contributed to us. Uh, were the uh, the other one we know about were the Denisovans. Denisovans, well, woman, in New
4: huh? Woman X, they, they called her when they found the when they found mm-hmm. the uh, piece of the finger and the tooth. Uh, in the cave at uh, Denis, Denis, Denisova cave, and you know yeah. what there is there is a group of human beings that still carry the Denisovan uh, matrilineal DNA, and it turns out to be the micronesians I read um,
2: very well, they're many, one of them the, the Tibetans also carry a lot of it
4: the Tibetans carry Denisovan DNA. The other yes, thing I yes. remember is that they said that. Um, Modern man evolved in North Africa when there was a brief period of time when Neanderthals and uh, whatever the creature would be, Homo erectus, uh, crossbred and created a mutation which developed into homeless, Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. But the if you swim process-
2: around in the deep end of all that stuff, you'll find that an awful lot of that stuff about placement. Uh, mm-hmm. that you just mentioned is more speculative than they'd like people to realize
1: Ooh, we don't
2: really know we don't really know
1: <laughs> ron, ron oh, you know oh,
7: your
1: yeah. ron your yeah. your comment about the uh homo homo the little hobbits
7: yeah uh-huh. well there
1: it's not just um from years ago there is i'll, I'll read this really quick this is from msn.com from just i think last week Gregory Forth, a professor of anthropology at the University of Alberta – Keith, there is Alberta mm-hmm. again – for more yeah. than 30 – which is interesting. For oh, more you than- Canadians.
2: You get in everything. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, no, but we were talking about Alberta. And, <laughs> and uh, for more than 30 years, but now retired, spent decades researching Homo florent. how do you say it? Flor yeah. Florian-, Florian. Florian thank you. Name for the island of Flores. And believes the meter-tall hominin still exist after hundreds of thousands of years. There have been allegedly mm-hmm. sightings of a so-called ape man on the island. Forth has is written between ape and human, an anthropologist on the trail of a hidden hominid to find the best explanation, that is, the most rational, empirically best supported of a local mm-hmm. population. Leo accounts of the creature. He wrote an article in The Scientist, a magazine dedicated to broad perspectives on life science topics. And I'll read a little more. Forrest says he spoke with 30 locals who said they have seen hobbit-like humans in Flores's forest. What they say about the creatures, Forrest wrote, supplemented by other sorts of evidence is fully consistent with a surviving hominin species or one that only went extinct within the last hundred years. So the one thing you didn't add, Ron, when you talked about human yeah. beings maybe being engineered, and I kind of touched on it because i was trying to touch a nerve in you and it's interesting that you talked about the local environment and how we had to be um symbiotic with it that is there a quality in human beings a brighter light let's just say that's occurred maybe because of the environment that's here that's just allowed human beings to flourish not only you know breeding like rabbits but being you know highly intelligent and maybe you've spoken about this and it's our speculation mm-hmm. that we have an esp quality a a, a a psychic side quality that somebody the grumpy gods mm-hmm. be jealous of
2: mm-hmm. oh yeah i think oh you're getting in some deep water there but yeah i i agree with that and this goes back to stuff that the uh just so that people don't think that i especially keith uh don't think that i completely disparage uh Sitchin's work or any of that stuff about the Sumerians, it's, um, yeah, it's in the, um, you know, it's in the Sumerian accounts as well. They were building workers. It actually kind of, you know, there's you can kind of, speaking of inferences, you can kind of derive stuff like that even out of biblical or, or at least apocryphal texts that the, um, yeah, we were supposed to be a worker species, you know, and they therefore that meant that we were going to be an inferior version of of them and what they were doing wrong as far as the rest of their cultural background was concerned was duplicating themselves because all of the other things, the simulcrums, the grays, anything like that were uh, inferior. They weren't as, you know, in in musculature and in, uh, in day-to-day intelligence, all this other stuff. But when they started tinkering with us, uh, we turned out to be, uh, oh, what's the term from my favorite movie? Particularly robust. And we're, uh, we, were, we sort of outgrew the engineering, which was why it was probably proscribed to mess around with uh, uh, simulated humans. You, know, you, uh, you could come close, but you couldn't do the exact same thing. That's my speculation about this kind of stuff. And that involved mental things. And it's really that's really a rabbit hole. Start talking well, about but, different different varieties of telepathy and everything else. So I don't but, know if we have got time to do well,
1: that. Well, no, Ron. It's it's but it's just like uh, it, 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 it's it's qualities because I mean what we've seen in the last two years, no matter your political perspective, is some sort of attack on humanity. And you also mm-hmm. said that hey, I think that the grumpy I call them the grumpy gods, small G yeah. folks, are among mm-hmm. us. And I mean. I mean, let's take another big leap and say, well, are these part of the elite, the so-called elites? You know, is this, are these the remnant families left over from? Them? I mean, I know we've gone. You know, people are familiar with this concept, but you know, there, there, there's a beating down again. It may not be a flood this time. It may not be a meteorite. It may not even be a war. It may be maybe a pestilence or something else that they're trying to put into you know people's systems. Who knows, right? I mean, it,
2: it's, it's Bitcoin all the fault of bitcoin
4: andrew andrew (laughs) on this point about uh humanity's qualities i think there are three qualities uh maybe let's call them virtues that human have intelligence is one of them adaptability is another and the one that is most responsible for the rapid progress that humanity has made is curiosity ah a lot of animals have intelligence. A lot of animals have intuition or instinct, but curiosity is a very special quality that humans have. And think of think of the eons of time that has passed on Earth, and think of the short time between Cro Magnon and the man on the moon, and the idea that we could do that in fifty thousand years. The, the blink, even quicker than the blink of an eye, is uh, is fantastic and inspiring and says to me that we are being guided by an inner spirit, but also perhaps by a shepherd. Shepherd that's uh, taking care of this flock and making sure that even though there is attrition, that this flock will never, never, ever uh, be wiped out. And uh, That's why I think it's so important that we keep perspective on our place in the universe. We are not God. And one of the big conspiracies of our time, uh, starting off with Freudian psychology, is that uh, man is God. That is the most self-destructive thing that anyone uh, could ever imagine. We are spirits encased in flesh. The flesh drops away, the spirit goes on. And spirit is transferable. A person can be inspired by a spirit and cohabitate. And many
0: spirits can cohabitate since they're not material. Okay, so, guys, um, uh We're into that, the, coming into the break here. Uh, we'll pick this up on the other side. Uh, you're listening to the other side of Midnight. And we're talking about Mars again. And uh, I hope you're enjoying it. I will be right back after this break once I get my act together. Mm-hmm.
6: in the navigator bar, or in the left-hand column. Membership costs nineteen ninety-five per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives, if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. And if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out. <laughs>
0: And welcome back to the Other Side of Midnight uh, as we continue our conversation about Mars. So, guys, where did we leave off?
4: Evolution. Actually, we should go back to Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Robert. If I, may, if I may, I'd like to talk about a couple more pictures that I have here. And um, one one of them, I'm going to go back to number one in, in a little while. That's a really interesting thing, the echoes of the black holes chiming down on stars. So we get to hear that. But right now, I'd like to talk and get your opinions on uh, picture number two. It says Mars, air glow, and three moons. So if you click that and enlarge it, as I said, in 2003 and 2018, again in 2006, um, yes, it was about, it might have been 2007. Mars kept coming closer and closer. It came at within thirty four million miles in um, two thousand and three and thirty five million miles or so in the other two approaches. But the important thing about this picture, and the reason I'm bringing it to your attention is that this is the best picture of the Mars airglow that I have ever found. As I told you, when I saw it, it was like a giant neon bulb, a pink orange neon bulb lighting up the sky, but I could see the atmosphere illuminated, lit up like a neon light, and this picture captured it. But what intrigues me about this picture, and I'd like to get your opinions on it, is what I call the three moons. You know, we know that Mars has two moons, Demos and Phobos, Fear and Terror. It doesn't have three moons. Demos and Phobos are very different. They're not circular, uh, they're not round, and they are disparate in size. And this picture captured three objects being illuminated by the airglow of Mars and creating what I consider to be, let's call a reflection inside the lens. So there's three spheres on the right at about four o'clock. And then there's a very faint glow up in the, uh, what we call the northern regions of uh, the airglow there. So I'm wondering if this fellow didn't capture uh, satellites, Mm -hmm. death stars, or something else out there that's uh, orbiting near Mars. Uh, What do you guys think? Andrew, let me ask Andrew this. He's quite the expert photo interpretation, and then uh, I'll ask Ron and and Keith. What do you think of this? I find it one of the most unusual photographs uh, I've ever seen. But I'm delighted that we can see how far the atmosphere of Mars extends from the surface, and there's not is really the risky little uh, thin thin layer of uh, CO2 that NASA complains.
1: Yeah, Robert, I've I've never seen this before. It's it's kind of extraordinary. I mean, obviously the top three dots are some sort of lens reflection of the ones on the lower right, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, they're 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 almost in formation. Um, exactly. I mean, and and we don't we don't know. And it's not a lens flare thing, right? No. Yeah.
4: Right.
1: Huh. I don't know, man. Uh, it's, it's go ahead, Ron.
2: Oh no. I, well, I only have one comment about this picture, which is that <clears throat> the atmosphere is preposterously thick. It's. I mean, if you look at a picture of the Earth from some distance away, no matter what you do to you know, to indicate the atmosphere and its limits and so forth, uh, it's a very thin skin <laughs> relative well, to the no, orb.
4: Run, no, 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 no. You're talking to a guy no. who saw it with his own eyes. Tended way, way, way high. Now well that talks- white that white ring no, I'm not talking about that stuff.
2: That that can be glare of a hundred different kinds. But the uh, that white ring around the planet Mars yeah I mean that's that's like 50 times as thick as the atmosphere
4: should be. Well I what I saw was you see if you look into this picture you will see that there are two rings and one is a very very bright one and then it comes to what I would call a, uh, a terminator and then another white ring extends beyond it. But all oh, right
2: know, right Right, yes, right. When yes, I expand yes. it, I can see those. Yeah, the innermost one, that little fuzziness around the around the disc is, yeah, that's the atmosphere. That's, those, the white,
4: that's the, what I saw. I, I, yeah. I agree that it, it is... Uh, the white
2: ring is something else.
4: Yeah. Super illuminated, however, whatever effect it is. But I looked for this picture for, I would say,
7: 2003
4: to 2019, about, you know, 16 years. Where's it uh, from? Um... I got it by working with Gary Legere and uh, a bunch of other uh, researchers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to track it down. I was hoping yeah. to have the answer to that, but, but the thing that really grabbed me is those three spheres uh, at the four o'clock position or 3.30 position. And mm-hmm. uh, I have no explanation, it, but it seems to me that they are being illuminated by the air glow of Mars. Now I want to talk a little bit more about um, the density of the air on Mars and all of the hokum that NASA uh, pulls and Richard was very astute in bringing out that picture of of the let's call him the astronaut who jumped from the balloon at over 100,000 feet and he compared the atmosphere at 100,000 feet with the surface of Mars and, and there's no comparison. There's a bunch of lies that are inconsistent that NASA always gives us. Now, On that night, there were three nights. It wasn't just one night. Uh, The 28th was the night that I saw uh, the eye of Mars or solar sun. The night before, I saw another black spot that came around the corner. And when it turned, it was more to the south. And it was something called the Hellas Basin. And when I saw the Hellas Basin, I was amazed because at first it was black and it looked like a dark spot, but when it came into sunlight, it was completely illuminated, and it looked like a silver ocean, and I could see waves, rainbow waves, iridescent rainbow waves uh, crossing it, and I could see the sides of the Hellas Basin, like ocean, rising and falling, and when it fell, the sides of the Hellas Basin looked like the texture of the Grand Canyon. And I said to myself, that has to be CO2. So lo and behold, two days so I wrote it. I wrote it up uh, for UFO Digest at the time. And two days later, NASA came out with this story that the Hellas Basin is a sea of CO2, that there is a permanent ocean or lake of carbon dioxide being contained by the pressure of planetary winds that are blowing over the Hellas Basin and creating a lid. Like when we boil water and put a lid on it and and the vapors are contained inside, they said that these planetary winds were sweeping over the surface of the Hellas Basin, creating this permanent sea of CO2. And then we get to this story about the thinness and the wispiness and the low atmospheric pressure yeah. And it just doesn't hold water. The other part is the uh, persistence of dust devils. And then we have the problem of the uh, of the occlusion, the the sandstorms, the sandstorms that occasionally rise up on Mars and cover up all the surface features of Mars so that you can't see it. And they say, Oh, there are planetary winds that blow at 200 miles an hour, and I say that's B.S. If the atmosphere were as thin as NASA purports it to be, as we pointed point out, 100,000 feet, mm-hmm. you couldn't have planetary winds of 200 miles an hour raising up those dust storms or uh, scru- uh, scrubbing the surface. And well, causing- you
2: can, but you wouldn't have much. They wouldn't do much damage. You know, you could. Just like you can, if you brace your feet and you're a junior reporter on the news team from some TV station and they send you out in a hurricane, you can stand up in a 100-mile-an-hour wind.
4: Yeah, but, you know, the, the, but the, the, the on Mars, the
2: 300-mile-an-hour wind wouldn't knock you over, and it certainly wouldn't pick Matt Damon up and throw him across the landscape. I
7: don't agree with
4: that. I don't think that molecules as dense as they uh, – so far apart that the atmosphere is as uh, dense as they say it is, 100,000 – foot altitude on earth i don't think there's 200 mile an hour winds uh in that kind of atmosphere so again i think it's another big lie and uh to spoon feed people that will just accept anything but real scientists have to stop and say hey yeah. you know that's bs that's not true that won't hold and right I, I
2: won't i wouldn't put on the boxing gloves about that my uh but i um i think it's uh, i think it's baggage you know what What in a relationship gets called baggage, (laughs) the uh, relationship between NASA and the public uh, has some of that. And I think that one of the one of the pieces of it that they've managed to divest themselves of uh, that we all may have had something to do with uh, is the blue sky. Because, you know, Richard can explain it very directly. It's just very simple physics. Anywhere you go, if there's an atmosphere you can see through, the sky's going to be blue. Bad, speaking of molecules, it's just, yeah. it's just just a basic matter of physics. And so they've been – but they wanted for some reason to make Mars look inhospitable to um, potential visitors. And so they pitched that whole orange sky thing uh,
7: yeah.
2: from the beginning, and now they've got a way out of it. You know, they started about two years ago. They just started all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, more and more of the pictures show the blue sky. So,
4: you no, know, you can be
1: perfect like,
4: Arizona and Utah to me as years go yeah. by. Yeah, hey, Robert? Robert. Robert. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yes,
1: Andrew. Robert, um, huh. those three little orbs or balls or whatever in that photograph, you, it did remind me <laughs> – okay, so this is maybe a bit silly, but it's funny how the premise for this is, is rather interesting. Do you guys remember – I mean, I, I never saw it. I was really young, but – the uh, so-called April Fool's Day joke um, um, broadcast, British broadcast called Alternative 3.
4: Yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, hoax documentary television program broadcast once only in the United Kingdom in 1977 and later transmitted in Australia, Canada, and New Zealand as a fictional hoax. Uh, hoax purported to be an investigation... This is from Wikipedia. Investigations mm-hmm. in the UK's contemporary brain drain Alternatives re-uncovered a plan to make the moon and Mars habitable in the event of climate change and a terminal environment catastrophe on Earth. Now, let me just scroll down. I mean, it was – there was an actor that played an American um, uh, astronaut, et cetera, et cetera. But let me read this. It was claimed that scientists had determined that the Earth's surface would be unable to support life for much longer. It's a familiar story. Due to pollution leading to catastrophic climate change. Physicist Dr. Carl Gerstein, played by Richard Marner, that's the actor who played him because it was later told it was a show, claims to have proposed in 1957 that there were three alternatives to this problem. The first alternative was the drastic reduction of the human population on Earth. Huh. The second alternative was the construction of vast underground shelters to house government officials and a cross-section of the population until the climate had stabilized. A solution reminiscent of the finale of Doctor Strangelove. The third alternative, with the so-called alternative three, was to populate Mars via a way station on the Moon. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because at the end of that like fictional show was reportedly a a, a video a tape of a, yes a, a joint landing. yeah a landing on Mars by a joint Soviet American um, uh, probe. You know, with mm-hmm. guys, people on, you know, manning it, and at the very end, uh, they land on the surface. Uh, you know, in this fictional show, and something moves under the under the Martian, you know, sands. But yeah. the reason why I bring this up is because in the in the sort of crappy videotape of this of this flyover of what looks to be again ancient ruins on Mars, it's very peculiar. It reminds me so much of what we're seeing now in yeah. uh, Gale Crater, et cetera. But Robert. Mm-hmm. If you slow down that video and take take it frame by frame, there's these tiny little balls whizzing around in the background of this oh. so-called fake video. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. why would the makers put these super-fast little ball things, so referencing your three orbs around that strange image of Mars, mm-hmm. in this fake alternative three, why would they bother putting little flying sentinels kind of as, as this sort of uh fake american uh soviet landing is happening is all these whizzing basically ape u-apes what is it robert that what they call them <laughs> yeah. now
4: yeah again going back to the, the monkey phenomenon they they renamed ufos uap's And yeah. i say to people that's a sick joke you know like again they all ha- they always have that little giggle the correct pronunciation of the new name for ufos is not uap's but u-apes uh,
1: but anyway <laughs> I just I want to talk about what you just you said. reminded me of it. I just wanted to bring that up. And again, yeah. it's yeah. in the it's in a fictional yeah. mythical place, right? But.
4: Yeah, but listen to this. You you brought to mind something that's very very important to me. I've seen that film three times, and it was made in 1967. And now you and I and Ron and the crew here, we know what Mars looked like, but they didn't know that in 1967. Mm. And that's overflight. <laughs> That landing is so realistic
1: to me. I know it's crazy, Robert.
4: Isn't it? it it's it so is. realistic, and like how could they possibly have known that much to make "quote unquote" a fake video?
7: I know. It's not book.
2: really an answer, but the Brits have a have
4: this brilliant um,
2: uh, ability to uh, work bleeding edge science uh theoretical and otherwise into their fictional stuff it pops up in strange places like doctor who it pops up in things like that i i'm not surprised it's likely people that are maybe it's because everybody that's really in charge of the secret projects in the united states works for the government or is you know contracted through harvard or something like that and in great britain hey you can you can go catch them at the tavern you know i don't know but they see
4: have you ever seen the film of supposedly the international spaceship Columbia orbiting Mars? And it's got a mm. uh, window view. It's film. It's not videotape. It's actual film that I uh-huh. uh, saw a couple of years ago. And again, when I look at it, and I have seen Mars, and I've seen the atmosphere, and I've seen the weather on Mars. I say, man, this, this looks so real. And it's shot... Through a, a bubble, a bubble window, like a blister window, sure. you know, heavy metal, uh, mm. heavy metal fastening,
0: kind of like the
4: millennium falcon window type of thing. It's a yeah. very impressive little piece of, uh, of video. Hold on, um, Robert. Did you, say, did you say a shuttle? No. Uh, they called it the International Spaceship Columbia video.
7: Oh. And it oh. looks...
4: The reason I'm impressed is that what they film or present in that film looks to me like what I saw through the telescope at that point when Mars was close enough to touch it, you might say. Um, the other things that I remember are so remarkable is that there's, there's, a, there's an icicle mountain at the south pole of Mars that looked to me when I saw it, it, it looked... It was extremely high, but it looked like the tip of a pencil. And I said to myself, "Oh my Lord, it looks like God could take that planet with his fingertips and spin it on that little spindle." And uh, only once have I seen one picture that is uh, close to it. My my friend, uh, uh, Ken Ken Steele was a radio announcer, and he did a lot of work. He found one picture that that showed. Uh, something similar to it. But Let me take a break from this for a moment. I don't want to miss the opportunity to let you hear this uh, this sound. Not this sound that's going by, which is... <laughs> the siren um, in the background? The city. No, no, something, something better. It's going to take no. me a second to set up so that I can screen share so you can hear this.
7: Mm-hmm. And this is the
4: sound of black holes eating up a star. So... Uh, let me just slide the switch here for sound, and you guys tell me when you see the screen, and I'll, I'll play this thing for you. It looks like a play sound.
7: Guys,
4: can you hear that? Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> okay, so let me play that and, and close. It says researchers have detected eight new echoing black hole systems in the Milky Way, and they sound like passing through a eerie wind tunnel. And intriguingly, the echoes reveal hints about the black holes in galaxy evolution. It should say galactic evolution, but who's going to you know, who's going to correct it anyway? Here goes.
7: Sounds
2: like it a scissor. Synthesizer. Yeah. horrible. Yeah.
7: One step beyond.
4: Oh yeah, I missed the, I missed the music. Sounds like 50s theme music.
7: Where? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Yeah.
4: Well, it's in space. Com, and I thank space. Com for that. It's very. Oh, right, and I thank the New York Police Department and the, the Fire Department for this one. They sound remarkably alike.
2: <laughs> yes, they do. As long as it's not your building. Uh,
4: All right. Let me knock off the Chinese, okay? Give me a shot. Thank you. Okay, Thanks. here we go. Picture number three, Mars Chinese Zhu Rong fake photo. We've gone over this. If you, uh, What's wrong with this picture? Uh, let's start off with the sky. Is wrong with this picture? Let's start off with. Uh, let's continue with. For me, the horizon is way too close. And so again, mm-hmm. the horizons only like six or seven
2: miles away on Mars. It's not very far.
4: Well, it doesn't. It, uh, it doesn't compare to the uh, the NASA pictures and the perseverance pictures that I've seen. I just
0: don't think I don't what? buy it. And, why but is anyways, there a single boulder sitting out there in the middle of nowhere?
4: Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing. It's not. It, it doesn't look like a boulder that impacted. No, it no, no, like no. Some...
0: no, no. All, no, it, all the way no. to the right, all the way to the right in the corner, up, up, up,
4: oh. Up, up. Oh, no, that black thing. They, now, here's another hokey story. They claim that that's the canopy that covered the parachute, which they deployed at very high altitude. They claim that it came down and landed right next right next to to the lander. So anyway, I think it's uh, a typically phony Chinese picture covering up the fact that they failed. And Ron knows that I said I was going to use remote viewing to uh, sabotage that thing. I was going to break its wheel and throw mud on the the lens and all that stuff. And we have seen very... And then the fake photo, remember the self-portrait, Ron, Mm -hmm. that um, all our friends said that can't be real? Because it's photoshopped. Now, for me, the proof is in picture number four in which I enhanced this photograph. I took a section, that section where the supposed uh, cover for the parachute is lying over there uh, on the horizon as Ron well says, seven miles away or six miles away. Mm-hmm. But when we look at it really closely and I uh, inverted the colors, you can see that the background is a patch quilt of different areas of black and gray and that the that the supposed cover of the parachute has jagged serrated edges and this is just one sample
2: of- it's cut mat it's cut mat it's 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 you know it's visual yeah, matting
4: that, yeah like yeah. a silk screen in the background and they mm-hmm. back projected a, an orange light and they put a, 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 a cut, in, cut and paste of prop in it so i don't believe any of the surface pictures I do believe that the orbiter is taking really, really, very good pictures. Some of them. Some of them. Because they came out with one picture of Mars, the entire planet. And I looked at it, and I said, this is phony. And I sent it to my friend, our friend, Robert Stanley. And I said, Robert, what's wrong with this picture? did it for about a minute. And he said, all the stars are wrong. And the fact is, We here on Earth know our constellations. And if we were on the planet Mars, we should see the same constellations and star patterns. So China had uh, photoshopped this picture, a really nice picture of Mars. But if you looked at the background, it it would have been in another galaxy because none of the constellations, none of the star systems that we know from everyday, everyday, everyday experience or every night experience on Earth were there. It was a fake sky. So, why show a picture of a real planet and save the stars in the sky let's go back to the chinese uh the first uh, Chinese spacewalk. Remember that one? They had a purported uh video of a Chinese spacewalk and somebody said, "Hey, what are those bubbles going? What are those bubbles going up by the astronaut?" It was apparently shot in a swimming pool and uh one of the divers that was in there with the astronaut in his space suit let out a burp or something else and the bubbles went streaming up uh, you know, I don't think there are any bubbles in outer space
2: I didn't see that particular picture but I would tend to believe it because <clears throat> it's been done before The uh, uh, a little bit of trade goods between uh, NASA and the Soviet space program was the uh, you know they were in the, during the Soviet era the Russians were very very paranoid about mm-hmm. making a mistake uh, they they weren't used to doing stuff in public but
4: mm-hmm. they wanted
2: the, you know they wanted all the publicity and the play and everything and so their first spacewalk
4: which they were perfectly capable of
2: doing uh, yeah. was actually faked in a gymnasium because see, their training protocols used all of those counterbalanced uh, harnesses like gymnasts use when they're practicing in possible stuff so they don't break their neck when they try it at the Olympics um and uh, so they you know they're made artificially weightless by a bunch of counterweights and and cables and harnesses and they re and they touched it out and yep. they, that was what they circulated originally well right. NASA, NASA saw it. They they realized that was the case, and so they used it to blackmail them because they had uh, been fudging a few pictures themselves, and mm-hmm. said, "You don't tell, we won't tell." You know. So this kind of stuff goes on, and the uh, yeah, and another way to do it, because I think I believe that the uh, some of the Apollo Apollo and pre Apollo training they did that did that in tanks like you're describing, yeah. And I think that so if that's what the Chinese were doing, were doing yeah yeah like the,
4: they government yeah, like communists communists can't can't lose space you
0: know okay guys yeah. uh, we're,
4: yeah. we're coming up we'll to the bottom molested. of the hour yeah we'll,
0: uh, be we'll be back in a minute okay and you're listening to the other side of midnight and we'll be right back after we take this break
7: And you can hear what the universe is saying. It's time for you to wander through the dimensions in your mind. Nothing to lose, is everything you find. Outside oh, midnight.
8: The Other side of Midnight.com The Other side of Midnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. The other
7: side of midnight. If you really listen up, you can hear what the universe is saying.
0: And welcome back to the other side of midnight. Uh, wow, this is really getting great. Well, let's get back there. I guess I'm Keith Morgan. I'm your host for this uh, tonight's show, and hopefully, Rich will be back tomorrow. So. We left off with Robert. Robert, you were going to show something interesting. Yeah,
4: two more pictures.
0: Um,
4: The walled city found on Mars. This was in November 28, 2016, in the UK Express. And it shows what it looks like, structures, ancient walled city found on Mars. Did intelligent life or intelligent civilization once rule the red planet is uh, the question. And it has these photographs of... Uh, what appears to be a walled city. We have no idea of how really uh, the size, the scale. But you know what it reminds me of? Certain villages that I've seen in Africa that are built with um, mounds or uh, ramparts around them to protect them from uh, from animals at night or uh, other tribesmen. And I find that they're intriguing, and there's a lot of them. Um, The main ones are right here in the center. One, two, three, four. They're quasi pentagonal or octagonal, Um, but it doesn't look uh, quite natural to me. And then where where on Mars is it? Yeah, you know what they don't say. Uh, They just Uh, you know they're not that hip in uh, in the UK Express that people would know terms like Solus lactus and Talmasia or Utopia Phoenicia. They're not into it, deeply, But they are intriguing photographs and not, not so natural looking to me. But I encourage people to click it and read it. Uh, it says, The images were taken from above by the NASA Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter satellite, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which blasted off from Cape Canaveral in 2005 to search for evidence of water on the planet. But in the larger area photograph, there are many more. These are the largest ones that they're showing in the main photograph. But if you just look at that first frame of the video, you'll see that in the periphery, there are many other much smaller ones as if it's a template for uh, Mars villages. And now I'd like to introduce you to what I think is probably the most important photograph of Mars that I've ever found. And it comes from the Perseverance rover. It's number six. I have named it Crashed Airframe on Mars compared to the Horton Flying Wing, the jet, the HO-225. You mean number
2: eight? Number eight. You said six. I guess. I'm sorry.
4: No, number sorry. eight. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
4: You're right. So I named it crashed Airframe. This was uh, in a jig-a-pan, uh from the Perseverance rover, and it's in front of that uh, that area that we call the bunker or I think what you call the temple. and there scattered in the front is this v-shaped form. It looks to me to be swept wing symmetrical. it's got circles. Uh, on both wings that seem to correspond one side with another as if they are sections for fasteners and there's no explanation how erosion doesn't look like it's made out of rocks it looks white it looks metallic it looks almost like uh, aluminum to me so I'd like to get some Ron's opinion of uh, the structure, what you see, what you think, and then and, and, uh, Andrew and, uh, and Keith. And I, I grant, grant
2: you, get, you've got a good eye for matching it up with that Horton flying wing. That's cool. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely metal. I, I'm very familiar I'm, with that.
7: It's, yeah. it's,
2: go ahead,
1: Andrew. Yeah. No. Robert's pointed this up before, and I I agree that it to me it looks metal too. Um, and I think these comparisons, Robert, are good ideas because it makes it more clear for people that these are not natural things. Now I don't know if it's exactly mm-hmm. what you say, but boy, from this angle, it sure looks intriguing. That's for sure.
2: It really does look like yeah. a piece of uh, that, you know, those sort of girders that you would see yes. comprising something like a oh, uh, a, a roller coaster at an amusement park. You know, they they've got the their. Uh, for they're folded bar into bar shapes, and they've got the holes cut through them. And it looks like that same kind of uh, what do they call that when you take pieces out of the, out of the non-essential parts out of a structural beam so that, to make it lighter. Yeah, but the, anyway, it looks like it looks very much like that.
4: Yeah, but to and, my pilot's eye, it's very aerodynamic. You know? Yeah, with a thrust, Yeah, with a thrust. I it does. Look- mm-hmm. The other intriguing thing is you see those circles. On the the, let's call it the forewing, the closer wing has circles. They're the same size. And if you look to the other side, the other wing, the far wing, you see that the circles are there. They look also about the same size. So it looks to me like machine metal. It certainly in no way looks like anything like rock. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Robert, do we know how big this is? Ron, do we? Do you guys know how big? I know this is way off in the background, right of that shot that you were talking no, about.
2: No, it's not. It's in the foreground, actually. It's that's in the the, foreground. The, yeah, you
1: see
2: that. Oh. Uh, you see you see that dark. Uh, well, it looks like it let's Be kind and say it looks like a sleeping puppy or a dead dog. Uh, <laughs> uh, more that's along the uh, ridge line. Yeah, you know, like follow the top edge of, uh, yeah. of Robert's little inset. You see that dark thing
7: that
2: yeah. is sitting on it. Yeah, that's right behind it. Uh, that's that uh, butte, or what do they call it? Kodiak Kodiak, yeah. Yeah, the thing that we call the Temple or the butte
7: or yeah, right. things like right. that, yeah. that
2: that they obsessed over for the first couple of weeks that Perseverance yeah. was on a, uh, had landed. Yeah, it's uh, I'm just locating it. I don't know what the size of that is either, but these are in the foreground because that that ridge there's a good distance between that that ridge between the lighter-colored part and the darkest part at the top, which is the bluff, it it slopes down. There's a shallow depression that goes back quite a ways, and then it drops off, and that's where that bluff is. So it's um, yeah, it's much closer to the camera than that is. Um, Robert, I will send you a bigger, um, less uh, annotated... <laughs> <laughs> of this area, and, maybe you, and maybe you can figure out uh, the measurement from that.
4: Yeah, well, we can work together to figure that out. But I, I'd like to take this opportunity um, to uh, pitch uh, a proposal to the audience. You know, you heard Richard a couple of minutes ago asking for your financial support. I mean, it takes a lot to do the, this work. And uh, Richard and I, you know, we... We go through the strain of, of producing and supporting these shows, and that means his show, my show, uh, our friends. We are really a network of uh, radio men of America, radio men and women of America, and I would include the other side of the news. So we need your help to keep our programs going. Donations Absolutely. are one way. The other way is by purchasing I have two books that I published this year. They're they're not e-books. They're called e-file books. And the E stands for encyclopedic or encyclopedia. I have uh, compiled and written Communion on the Moon and the Martian Revelation, The Five Faces of Mars Decrypted. And this is a compilation of the best Apollo luna um lunar orbiter photographs and uh articles it's multimedia because i include videos and radio shows uh uh, we did a radio play andrew uh andrew curry scott peters and i and and a really talented musician we did a video production called the music of the moon in which we read the transcripts, the conversations that Apollo 10 had as they were going around the far side of the moon, they started to hear what Gene Cernan described as weird outer spacey music and uh, kept harping on it. And the astronauts, they were really reluctant to talk about it because they weren't supposed to hear anything on the far side of the moon. There were not supposed to be any radio signals. But Cernan kept coming back because he was totally intrigued and spooked by it. And these um, were recordings, I found them in a transcript of the uh, digital, uh, not a digital, you know, the first cockpit recorder, like they have in aircraft today. They're digital today, but in those days, they were uh, a loop, a loop of a tape, a Morbius strip tape that recorded for half an hour and kept recording And the premise was that uh, if anything should happen to the astronauts, some disaster on the far side of the moon, we would never know what happened. But if they had a tape playing or recording that could be triggered when they came to the near side of the moon, they would find out what had happened. The astronauts didn't know they were being recorded. And they got spooked out by these sounds. And in the cockpit, they were discussing whether or not to report it to NASA and tell Houston about it. And Tom Stafford and uh, Gene Cernan and I think it was John Young, they decided, no, we better not tell them because they might not let us fly again, you know? Are you saying so, that NASA lied to their astronauts? I am, not so shocked. Shocked. I am so shocked. NASA, the astronauts kept it from, from, uh, from NASA, as well oh, as the oh, UFO oh. That followed Apollo 11 to the moon that Buzz Aldrin uh, led out uh, in, a, in a conversation about 10 years ago. Anyway, uh, Communion on the Moon is this compilation of, uh, mm-hmm. it's 100 photographs, my best photographs are the Apollo missions and, and the lunar surface. And then the, um, the Martian revelations, the five faces of Mars decrypted is a compilation of our work on Mars. And I sell mm-hmm. them for $25. You can get them in, uh, through PayPal, if you don't have PayPal, you can use me. But if, for every uh, volume that I sell, that you buy, I will give 10% of it to Richard Hoagland's uh, enterprise and 10% of it to the other side of news so we can help each other keep broadcasting. And uh, you will enjoy it. And then there's enough material there for you to be, to start your own research. So um, communion on the moon, the Martian Revelation, and you can write to me at Robert Morningstar, capital R, capital M, at proton.me. Me, trying to make the email as easy as possible. Robert Morningstar, Art. at proton.me. And uh, artfully
2: H- done H- self-promo, sir. Through-
4: <laughs> well, for all of us. Then, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's good. Uh, uh,
2: you just reminded me of something though. That's what I'm saying, Keith. What is that song? That, that, uh, that growly blues song about the other side of midnight, because that sounds like the same person that did the song that you played last week that was all about 19.5s. Never heard those before.
0: Yeah, um, I forgot. I asked Richard, and
2: he didn't know what I was talking about either. Huh?
0: I forgot which, uh, which artist did this for him. Um, uh, he's a country and western uh, artist, and I can't think of his name.
2: He said the name. Said, yeah, the voice sounds vaguely familiar.
0: Yeah, uh, he did these. Right. He he did two of these things for uh, Richard. Um, cool. I just can't remember what his name is.
2: <laughs> hmm. It'll come to you eventually. Yeah, because uh, Richard Richard couldn't recollect it either. You know some of but I'm sure everybody noticed. Yeah, you know, cool stuff. Uh, and well, we're into we're into rap time. Good. Um believe it or not we survived the show, it looks like. Well we got about it. Andrew, are you yeah, Andrew, are you still awake? <laughs>
1: yes, I'm I'm here. I,
2: yeah. Okay. No, hopefully, uh, hopefully so is the audience.
4: Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think they went to sleep.
2: Oh no, I thought it I thought it was pretty good. I I love a
1: good argument. Uh so, well, guys, i again I, I think we're we're you know we've said this countless times, and I know you know um a week ago in our correspondence back and forth before you know Richard got knocked off because of um off the air for being with us last week um, as of the computer issues, but one of the things he said is that you know well, he might have said this may be our smoking gun but. When is it going to be our smoking gun? Like, you know, is NASA gonna, is some underling gonna just drop something that is so stunning that it's going to be undeniable? Or, I mean, again, I'm I'm just throwing this out there because what do we need to you break? No, the... Andrew,
4: I I think I think we got the answer in that picture number eight. I I think that that's a pretty big smoking gun. As a matter of fact, I showed it uh to one of my colleagues who is a a mathematical genius and uh, at uh, one of the major universities in California and his remark was it looks like the Nazis made it to Mars but they didn't make it back and there's uh, with a couple of minutes left I'd like to tell you something uh, from Army intelligence files that uh, that I've had for many years it is a the US Army Central Intelligence Group which has uh, preceded the CIA In 1946, there was a letter received by General Lucius Clay, who was Supreme Commander of occupied Germany. And it came from a Kriegsmarine, that's uh, the German Navy, a U-boat sailor who had sailed uh, from Germany to Japan and back delivering liquid mercury to the Japanese because they were working on very high-tech physics. And this liquid mercury was a source of uh, secret propulsion. And he reported to General Lucius Clay that he had uh, been befriended by these German physicists on the U-boat and that they told him that Germany had devised uh, a new technology and that they had created what he described as spirit ships. Spirit ships were material aircraft that they had been able to, what we would say, dematerialize, that they could travel from point A to point B without crossing the space in between because they were spirit ships. He also said that the Germans had developed a technology whereby they would be able to open a hole in the atmosphere and burn cities to the ground by exposing them to direct sunlight without the filtration, protection of the atmosphere. This uh, German sailor's name was Guido Bernardi, and he went into great detail as to how the Germans had uh, achieved this and that the Mercury spinning, rotating Mercury was a part of this propulsion system. That well, that's was... the Hanabu technology. Yeah, right? Hanabu. Okay, you, yeah. Made, you said the magic word. I'm going to ask you guys. What does Hounibu mean? Because I know what it means. It took me years and years and years. He's going to be a big surprise. Nobody knows what Hounibu means. But I found the meaning of Hounibu, of all places, reading the Rosetta Stone. Yes. All my life I wanted to know what the Rosetta Stone meant or said. And in sixth grade, I said, sister, what does the Rosetta Stone say? She says, oh, it's a table of weights and measures and taxes. And then in high school, I said, Mr. Considine, you know, what does the Rosetta Stone say? He says, oh, Robert, it's a a document of uh, uh, weights and measures and taxes. And then in college, I said, Professor Moriarty, what does the Rosetta Stone say? And he said, it's it's a a decree, and it has to do with – for giving taxes and weights uh, and measures, same story, you know, all those years. So, 50 years later, yes, 50 years later, I come across a book. It's the translation of the Rosetta Stone by E. Wallace Budge, and it's the most important book. Uh, the Rosetta Stone is one of the most important things ever discovered in the history of history, archaeology, and science. And it tells 30, some, 30,
2: seg- 30 seconds, Robert. Uh, no, no, for anybody no, no. that doesn't That's, know yeah, it, yeah. no, I'm just going to tell them what the Rosetta Stone was. It was the same thing said in three different languages.
4: Right. And, how, right. and it's
2: how Egyptian hieroglyphics were able to be uh, right. translated. That's right, all. Right, right,
4: right. Fantastic story. and Fantastic story. Yeah. So I start reading it. And it's... A glorious story. I wrote an article um, for Graham Hancock. He was gracious enough to post it on his website. It tells the story of Ptolemy V in the ninth year of his reign, having a jubilee, when he has a rebellion of a particular temple of Lycopolis, where apparently they, uh, they were into wolves, Lycanthropy, Lycopolis, and they refused to pay their taxes. So he has to, uh, you know, discipline this temple that won't com- you know, comply with the Pharaoh's decrees. He doesn't want to kill anybody. He says, you know, this would ruin my party. This would ruin my jubilee. So what he did is he directed his army to dig trenches around the temple to divert the Nile because the temple was pretty uh, secure and it had water from the Nile flowing into it. So he diverted the waters of the Nile to flow around the temple through canali, channels. And then he starved them out. And so in the end, they had no water, they had no food, they had to surrender. And the pharaoh brings this rebellion to heel without bloodshed. Then he forgives the rebels. Uh, He punishes the the ringleader, but not with death. And he declares a jubilee and he forgives the taxes on the Egyptian people for a year. Ptolemy V. It's one of the greatest stories that I've ever read. And the 17th degree says, I decree that this proclamation be written in stone, uh, carved in wood. Uh, stamped in copper and metal and that it be written in three languages. The language of the priests, the language of the people, and the language of the Haunabu. The Mm -hmm. Haunabu were the Greeks. So, Haunabu... The Greeks? The Greeks. And he says it has something to do with the Greeks and the Discus. The discus. There's a famous ah. work of art called uh, Discobolus. It's one of our icons in, in the sport that I play, Quiddi. Uh, so I took this icon. It's a, a, a carving, a statue of a man about to throw the discus, and it's by Myron, M Y R O N, and carved in 450 A.D. by the Hau Nebu, H A U N E B U, Hau the Greeks. So hmm. there you
1: go. Oh, Robert, you, may, may, may Yeah, go ahead. May I tie a bow on that? You know, we, we began the show sort of, you know, on Mars and talking about mythology and we conclude it in a very similar way and we've teased out the idea of very interesting and exotic which might not be so exotic, propulsion systems and the idea that perhaps humanity has done more And had more adventures that we're not even aware of. And that comes back to the heart that what humanity is so bereft of is more curiosity in terms of new mythology. And what great stories have already been written and recorded that we're not even privy to in terms of what really maybe have been going on for the last 50 years or so. So I, I, just, I just think it's an interesting idea because we are over the last 50,000 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wrong. We, we, we're starving because our curiosity makes us want to know more and makes us want to reflect more about ourselves. And I think you know that library, which might already be there and it might be fairly recent, is available somewhere if, if it's happened. And, uh, and, and it's waiting to make us flower again as, as human beings. Yeah. And since we have a minute or two, I want to finish
4: off this uh, U.S. Army document that I, I'm privy to. There was – part of the story is that U.S. Army intelligence was scrounging all over Germany looking for the guys that built this tri- this uh, this ship, the Horton H O 229 were two brothers, Reiner Horton, I forgot the other brother's name, but they were looking for these guys all over Germany. And then they went also into prisoner of war camps and they found out that in this prisoner of war camp where all these paper, later to be paperclip Nazis, some German had put out a lecture about a trip to Mars and they were going all over the, the camps trying to find out who was the guy who was describing the German project to go to Mars. I suspect it was Werner von Braun, but uh, I'm not certain of that. Well, you know but what?
2: A- Andrew's story earlier about the uh, way to uh, set up a government on Mars. Uh, that's the same, uh, basically, the same outline that's in uh, Werner von Braun's uh, book about
4: Mars. Yeah. yeah, I think it was von Braun's, but you know, and the, and yeah. the German uh, paperclip. Uh, they weren't. They weren't talking. Because it was such a, a detailed lecture, but U.S. Army found out these guys are talking about going to Mars. And, you know, there is a rumor that the Germans were able to get to the moon with uh, So Well, they definitely had the old, good old-fashioned
2: light-it-up-and-fly technology to get to the moon. It's just that reportedly Hitler wouldn't sign off on it because he couldn't see a military advantage to it they could get they had this they had the equipment they had the rocket uh cuz the rocket that that A A9-10 dash was bigger than a Saturn V and it, <laughs>
7: yeah, it was designed York.
2: Yeah. huh yeah it, it was wasn't it, was, uh, it wasn't designed for, no it wasn't designed for that it was part of their space program but it
6: yeah, wasn't
2: uh the yeah it wasn't right? it, it wasn't yeah. Munda That's okay guys years.
0: okay uh we're at the end I of the know. show uh it's great all right. all right third star on the left straight on to morning and hopefully we'll have james goodall tomorrow night and uh you guys have a good night